And good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight. And I'll be talking all things New York sports with you guys until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're still up out and about in the city that never sleeps. I drove in. There's still some Halloween parties going on on the West Side Highway over there at the piers. I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio in lower Manhattan. We are two hours into this daylight savings adjustment. It's on Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. Hey, check your clocks. It's 2 a.m. again. Just making sure. We're going to be together a lot tonight, you and me, till 6 a.m. I've got Nick behind the glass. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You know the number, 877-337-6666. Let's load them up. Yankees, Mets, Giants, and Jets. We've got a very special guest for you later tonight, Jim Duquette. He's the former GM of the Mets, who after 20 years in the MLB front offices is now a baseball analyst on the MLB Network Radio, SMY, and The Athletic. And uh, we'll discuss the ro- roster formula Heavy quotes there for winning a World Series. The Mets' most important need this winter. And we will also draw upon his knowledge of the Wilpons, pick his brain a little bit to see why the Mets passed on Girardi, didn't even interview Showalter, and ultimately decided on Beltran. So for the New York Yankees, for the New York Yankees last weekend, We talked about how the Yankees' elimination from the postseason in the ALCS created more questions than answers for this stacked team. And, of course, that's questions by Chris Brown. The essential questions surrounding the Yankees this winter, I came up with eight. Which free agents do they bring back? Aaron Hicks to have Tommy John surgery out eight to ten months. Miss significant time next season. Can the Yankees find a suitor to take on Stanton's contract? And do they want to? How much are they willing to spend on any of the top-flight starting pitchers on the market this winter? Did Didi Gregorius, the heir to shortstop after Derek Jeter, play his last game in pinstripes in a loss? Why did Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez average a combined 134 with runners in scoring position this ALCS? Does the we-have-a-great-bullpen strategy actually work? And which, if any, prospects and or young players is Cashman willing to part with? Perhaps the first answer became available tonight. A role just Chapman in the Yankees, as you've heard, had until 12.01 to reach a contract extension. And I was all ready to come on here and tell you that they didn't agree to terms. But around 12.15 a.m., they did. But it's clear that Chapman wanted to be in New York and the Yankees wanted to keep him here. So what happened was the Yankees agreed to add another year for $18 million to the end of the next two years, which they were due to pay him $30 million. So this season... Chapman struck out 85 in 57 innings, recorded 37 saves, and posted a 2.21 ERA. And although he allowed only three home runs during the regular season, he posted the sixth lowest home run rate among pitchers with at least 50 innings. And fans have, I know, burned into their brains that last image from the Yankees postseason, that Chapman smile, and sure, it annoys some. But it didn't bother me that much. Because do you really think that he was happy that he just surrendered a walk-off home run to end the Yankees' season in Houston? Come on. It's just a reaction. I learned that during my first year of coaching, that all players have different reactions to setbacks. Hal Steinbrenner, in an email to the New York Post, he said, I'm obviously disappointed that we did not accomplish our goal of winning a world championship. This is what we set out to do every October, and we clearly failed in that endeavor. No one is denying that. But then Steinbrenner, what bothered me, said in that his starting rotation, quote, did a good job in the postseason. 
and he chalked up their ALCS exit to time, uh, untimely hitting. He isn't wrong about the hitting. We talked about that here, but the starting pitchers, I disagree with. They average only four and a third innings this postseason. Their 3.29 ERA was good for fifth out of the 10 teams, fifth in the postseason. That's not good. That's in the middle. And that's the difference between winning and losing the World Series. And there is no formula to win the World Series or else everybody would be doing it. And there is no substitute for clutch hitting. But I couldn't help but notice the two teams that made it to the big show this fall, they were built the same way. The Astros with Cole Verlander and Granke. The Nationals with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Come on, Yankees fans, think back to 2009. Sabathia, Burnett, and Pettit. Tanaka, Severino, Paxton? I think misses the mark. The Yankees absolutely need to add a tried and true, no doubt, ace arm this offseason. And Garrett Cole is the answer. The last two big ticket pitchers that the Yankees ponied up for were Sabathia, seven years, 161 million. Tanaka, seven years, 155 million, and also 20 million to his Japanese team. And I'm putting Garrett Cole's market value projection at six years, 198. And that's with the help of SportsTrack. I love that website. And as for that West Coast rumor, I've never said it, Cole says. J.J. Reddick was the one who said it. Now the Jets are hoping for a warm welcome to South Beach later today. Well, they'll get the warm. The forecast is partly cloudy and 84 degrees, but I'm not so sure about the welcome. Jets might be in for a rude awakening. Will this game be a walk in the park for the New York Jets? With Jamal Adams, the most important defensive player for them, unhappy? Are his feelings justified? I'll tell you, I think they are. Way more on that in a few minutes. And I put up one of my famous Twitter polls, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and I asked Jets fans for their level of confidence in their team this Week 9 Sunday. 40% voted that the Jets are going to lose. 40 New York and Miami combined for a 1-13 record so far. Both teams have minus 100-point differential on the season. Is this winless Miami Dolphins team the layup that their record implies? Not so fast. The Jets haven't won in Miami since 2015. Miami lost to the Redskins by just one point, and they had a halftime lead over the Bills and the Steelers. They just didn't finish. The Dolphins defense behind... Uh, held uh, The Dolphins defense held Mason Rudolph to an 84.4 rating, 251 yards, an interception, sacked him twice, and a 56% completion percentage. But he did throw two touchdowns. Through eight weeks of the season, and that's seven games for Miami, the Dolphins have the fewest penalties in the NFL, 39, and obviously the fewest penalty yards, 319. I'll reveal my picks and rationale a little later, but I'm going to let you guys in on a little friendly wager between myself and another nighttime WFAN host. You know, J.J. After Dark, John Jastrzemski. You guys know him? Well, him and I, we're looking to spice up this little mean-nothing game between the Jets and Dolphins. So if J.J.'s Dolphins win, I will wear a Dan Marino jersey on this show next weekend, this time next weekend. And I'll pictures posted and everything. If the Jets win, though, J.J.'s going to record me a J-E-T-S chant to drop on my show forever so for that reason i know i'll be heavily invested in this 1 p.m jets dolphins game all 
And I know a few of you were greasers for Halloween and maybe even tonight at a Halloween party. The New York Mets got the one they wanted. After an extensive interview process that spans dozens of candidates, known and unknown, who was that bombshell anyway? Spread over three rounds, the New York Metropolitans have selected alumnus, is that the right word, alumnus, Carlos Beltran as their 22nd manager. Beltran, who has absolutely zero experience as an MLB coach, let alone manager. But that didn't seem to deter the Wilpons and GM Brody Van Wagenen. Beltran said last month, this is a quote, I feel like I played long enough to learn the game, and I do feel that I have a lot of things to contribute to the clubhouse. Yes, the experience is not there because I have not done it, but I do believe it's something that, with the opportunity, I can learn. Whether you wanted him or not, you have to respect the outlook. But are the Mets really in a position for another manager to learn with them and that young core? Mets COO Jeff Wilpon said in a statement, we are thrilled, as we know our passionate fans will be, to have him back in the family. And you guys know more than anybody, the Mets broadcast booth is no stranger to voicing their brutally honest opinions on this team. So I went to their opinions on the hiring. Keith Hernandez called it a good move and that he wasn't surprised in the least. Ron Darling, he said, my initial reaction was, holy cow, that's fantastic. His baseball intelligence is through the roof. It has always been. He has the passion, I'm sure, to be one of the greatest of all time, like he was as a player. I wouldn't expect anything less. Steve Gelbs said, Carlos Beltran wanted this. He went into the Yankees front office last year to learn this even more so. I've talked to current players over the past couple days, and Carlos Beltran immediately has their respect. I can promise you that. And also, the first domino fell for the Mets roster this offseason. Oh, a few hours ago, they decided that they did not want to pick up Juan Lagares' option, saving themselves from paying him $9.5 million next season. And a few hours ago, they decided that they were not going to pick it up. And he said, Lagara said, I thank God for the opportunity to be here from 2006 until now. It's sad. I understand that this is a business, and I have to accept everything that happened and enjoy the time. Well, that's exactly how the Giants don't want this game to end. <laughs> Last call, Hail Mary, Prescott, touchdown. Obviously, wow by Post Malone. Coach Pat Shermer is playing for the first time this season with a full deck on offense. It only took nine weeks, but Jones, Barkley, Tate, and Shepard are all set to share the field together on Monday Night Football. As you know, and as Post Malone just told you, they'll host America's team, the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys on the primetime national stage. Giants fans, you could be optimistic. Daniel Jones is coming off his best game as an NFL quarterback, posting a 68% completion percentage, 322 yards, four touchdowns, but more importantly, zero interceptions, and a 124.2 rating. He'll go head-to-head with Dak Prescott, who curiously still hasn't received his contract extension from his owner, Jerry Jones, despite leading the Cowboys' top-flight offense. And I do mean top-flight. They're third in yards per game, fourth in completion percentage, and they're second in yards per attempt. That's due to Dak Prescott. And obviously Ezekiel Elliott and Gallup and Cooper. So the Giants, that's going to be a tall task for the Giants defense there. Even with brand new trade acquisition, Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams, I hope he doesn't get lost in the bowels of MetLife Stadium on Monday Night Football. Because he's obviously switching from one side to the other. It's not a far walk. Perhaps the most immediate benefit of having Williams on the D-line, though, 
despite his ability to hopefully generate some some pressure on Dak Prescott and, and to keep Dak Prescott in the in the in the pocket. Perhaps the most immediate benefit of having him on the D line is that his former Jets had just three weeks ago, not that long ago, defeated the Cowboys for their first win of the season. The entire football world will have their attention on the Monday night lights of MetLife Stadium. Which New York Giants will have a standout game? I'll give you a little hint. Starts with Saquon and ends with Arkley. I'll tell you why after the break. And will the Giants, the underdog, pull out the W in this game? Ah, you might be surprised. So we got a lot on deck tonight. We have the Yankees, who have many more questions than answers at this point in time. But one of them has been answered tonight. Because Aroldis Chapman has signed a contract extension with the New York Yankees. I do think it was the right move. He's one of the most premier, at this point, closers in the league. And I know he's no Mariano Rivera, guys. I know he gave up that home run to Jose Altuve. And the smile bugs you. But you know what? If you step back and look at the numbers, well, even Mariano Rivera wasn't perfect. And now the Jets, I mean, this might be a trap game for these Jets. And and if that's the case, as you know, you've been listening to my, my show on here for weeks now. Adam Gase, I've had enough of him. And, you, you know, I, I wasn't even a proponent of him from, from the beginning, but, you know, that's the decision the Jets made, and I tried to get behind it, but I just can't. And if the Jets lose to the winless Miami Dolphins, well, one, I'm going to be wearing a Miami Dolphins jersey next week with my bet with JJ. And two, the Jets should leave Adam Gase in Miami. They should just leave him there. Do not let him board the flight home to Newark. And the Mets got the one that they wanted. They got Carlos Beltran after three rounds of interviews. And we'll talk with uh, former Mets GM Jim Duquette in a little while about that. Beltran's excited. The Mets broadcast booth is excited. And the Giants do not want the game to end, as Post Malone has projected in his song, Wow. Especially on the Monday Night Football stage. With everybody watching. The entire football world watching. Let's hit the calls after the break. All is on the table. Can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan. And I'm Danielle McCartan back with you guys on WFAN at 2.23 in the morning. And the first call that I see on the board here is about the Mets. So you know what? Let's go there. So it's official. Carlos Beltran has been named as the 22nd manager in the history of the New York Metropolitans. I think everyone's New York in New York's first choice was Joe Girardi. And when the Phillies made the first move, I think obviously that it, and I've taken the phone calls on here, it left the Mets fans trying to make the best out of the remaining five candidates. And to convince themselves why this person would be better than Girardi would have been, had the Mets actually really been in on him to begin with. Some people, I mean, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but I'm thinking maybe Girardi wasn't ever a real thought for the Mets for reasons of control and dollar signs and and all that. Is Beltran, who, Carlos Beltran, a former mostly (laughs) beloved Met, and man, how many times do we have to hear about that strike three caught looking? Enough with that. I'm done with that. Please don't bring that on my show. I don't want to hear about it. But is Beltran a former 
mostly beloved Met. Oh, is he a way to appease a fan base that was mostly unified in wanting Girardi? You got to give it to the Mets. The interview process was comprehensive. And I even heard that it included putting the candidate through a mock press conference, which I love that. I think it's an extremely out-of-the-box way to do things, especially here in New York. And I'm almost thinking that maybe that's something Brody Van Wagenen wishes he had done the first time around with Mickey Calloway. To verify or deny that, I hope to have someone very high up within the Mets on with me next week. I'll send a couple emails. I'm not going to promise anything I can't deliver on, so I'm not going to announce that just yet. But in any event, if that falls through or doesn't happen in the near future, I will have a chance to talk with Joe Girardi himself. I am going to ask him about the interview process. And at that's our at our annual, he's going to be honored at our annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner in Brooklyn in about a month's time. And you got to think that Beltran, as a member of both the Yankees and the Mets, nailed that portion of the interview, if in fact it really did happen. And you knew it was going to get close when my first choice, Tim Bogar, was weeded out earlier in the day that they ultimately hired Beltran. Again, I like Bogar because, one, he's been a coach for the three of the best managers to ever do the job. I mean, let's talk Joe Madden, Terry Francona, and we'll even throw Bobby Valentine in there. Bogar climbed the ranks. Bogar has World Series experience as a coach on the bases and with the infielders of Washington. You saw that. He won manager of the year at three different minor league levels. And he managed the Texas Rangers as an interim basis in 2014. And everyone pretty much wanted him to stay. I also talked about Beltran last week. And I liked, because now we know it's not Tim Bogar. So we got to give up on that dream. But I also talked about Carlos Beltran because obviously he played for both New York teams. He has dealt with the media from the Bronx to Queens and everywhere in between, including here in lower Manhattan, on the fan. He'd be leaving the Yankees front front office position for the job. And you guys got to think that Brian Cashman would not let him in the inner circle if he did not know what he was doing. That reminds me of the Meet the Fockers movie and that that circle of trust. I know some of you guys are getting the reference. Beltran's also heavily involved in mentoring the younger players in New York. He was as close to a player manager as you could possibly get. He's allegedly a good communicator. He's highly regarded by former players, coaches, managers. And both Terry Collins and Omar Minaya put in a good word on his behalf during the interview process. The cons that came up with Beltran are obviously that he's never coached or managed, like at any level. And even I needed an assistant coach experience before setting out on my varsity coaching experience. Was Beltran, he was only open to the Mets job, and only that. He declined interviews this year with the Cubs and the Padres. But he did interview with the Yankees when Boone was hired. Why? Well, does he know that the Mets are the surest thing out of all the open options this year? Will the team's good play mask his potential mistakes? Is he not planning to be there long? Win and leave, maybe? Or did he just not want to uproot his entire family to move somewhere else? In any event, Mets fans have to rally behind Carlos Beltran now, whether you wanted him or not. And one of my famous Twitter polls, at Coach MCCARTAN, I did a little probing. I asked Mets fans, 
Are you happy with the hiring of Carlos Beltran after the Phillies made Girardi unavailable? 66% of Mets fans said yes. We'll talk some off-season moves in a minute, but we got Scott and Glenn Cove. You're on the fan. Hey, Dana. I am extremely happy about Beltran. So I'm you're in, you know. yeah, you're in the, in the 66% that must have voted yes. 1,000%. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I love Terry Collins as the bench coach. I think that would be phenomenal. And also, who do you think for a pitching coach? Because we got to put a good staff together behind him. Who are your thoughts on a pitching coach? And thanks, Scott, for the call. Hey, I, I like I see I like Terry Collins first. I'll take that first because he brings experience, obviously having managed the Mets before, to a manager to help out a manager that obviously has never coached or managed before. And also Collins, I mean, he's a little older and he's not looking to take over the managerial position at, at any point in time. So I think Carlos Beltran would be in a good position if he did, in fact, pick Collins. And that was the rumor that if he got the Yankees job, Collins was, was going to get the in with him there last year, was it? Or two years ago. And so for those reasons, I think that Terry Collins would be good. Because one, he's had the experience before. And two, he's not trying to usurp him, if that's the right word, or, or take his job. So I like Collins there. For pitching coach, ready for this one, Mets fans? How does John Franco sound? John Franco has been working with Team Italy for the World Baseball Classic. He's got, I mean, he's one of the most, again, beloved Mets. He knows what he's doing. I think John Franco would be an interesting selection for pitching coach. Especially since he has a little experience working with Team Italy. And I, I would think that I, I got to think. I'm pretty sure he told me. I got to go back to it, the interview on my YouTube channel. But pretty sure he told me. He put his phone, hands up like, like a, making a phone call to his ear. And he said, call me. Not for this particular opening, but I guess just in general. I think he'd be willing to do it. So to answer your call, I mean answer your, your question on the call, I'm going to go with John Franco on that. Jason in Manhattan, thanks for holding. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. What's up? Hey, um, as much as I'd love to hear JJ make that stand, I don't think that's going to be happening this weekend, unfortunately. And there's a Jeff fan that makes me a little upset. But the way they've been playing, you can just tell they're, they're never ready for a game. So you, you think know? I'm going to be the one wearing the Dan Marino jersey next week? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Oh, um, no. After week one, after the first half of week one, I mean, they just they don't look like they're ever ready to play. And I know they had third-string quarterbacks and all that stuff, but – they never prepared, and Gage is just not a good coach for that sort of thing. You know, it's just he's got to go, and, you know, Darnold doesn't look good with him. So if he's not looking good with him, you got to find somebody who's better, and he was supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, and, you know. So, exactly. Unfortunately. But um, exactly. I'll point on the Mets if I could. Sure. Um, I like the Beltran hire. I think out of everybody that was left, you know, after Girardi was gone, he was the best hire. Um, I just unfortunately – I don't know how uh, great it is for former Mets to be part of this organization. You can see the way they treated some of them, uh, the Gardo Alfonso, that sort of thing. They just kind of give them the, the low ropes, you know, and it's not great. Um, so hopefully Beltran gets better treatment than everybody else has in the past, and, you know, hopefully the team does well behind him. I mean, I hope players come here because they want to play for a guy like him since he's been around baseball so long, and he has such a good report, you know? Yeah, Jason, thanks for the call. And and Carlos Correa, who, who used to be a teammate of Carlos Beltran's in – in Houston, 
um, gave a, a resounding yes. He's a great guy. He's great to play for, play with, and he will be great to play for. And, you know, you're bringing up an interesting point about how the Mets treat the alumni, we'll call them, the older Mets. Um, I think they're trying to change that narrative um, because you saw what they did with the the Tom Seaver thing. When they, they gave him a statue, right, and they renamed it Seaver Way, um, who Tom Seaver is in declining health. We all know that. Um, they honored that 69 team. That was just this past season. So I think, I don't know who, whose idea it has been. Maybe it's Brody's because he's only been there for this this one and only season. Or maybe it was Mickey Calloway's. But I think the Mets are trying to change the narrative. I mean, they they also gave David Wright the, the all-star send-off. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. But, you know, you can only hope if you're a Mets fan that, that Carlos Beltran will succeed. Paul, Jackson Heights, you're on the fan. Yeah, um, I'm hoping Beltrain, I'm a huge Mets fan, and I'm hoping Beltrain works out. You know, you never know, first-time coach. What I like is that they didn't drag it out. It, they put him in there, now they're ready for um, the draft and whatever else they have to do. You know, the team's being put together, and this quicker it gets put together, the quicker they can gel, and that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, yes. But if you were in the Joe Girardi camp, like I was, you think that the Mets actually took too long in it. Although it was sort of kind of quick. I think, uh, when did Mickey Calloway get the hook? On uh, October 7th or so, somewhere around there. And then you had the Phillies, and Gabe Kapler got the hook around like maybe four or five days later. The Phillies moved a lot faster than the Mets did. And although... The optics seem as though the Mets took too long on Joe Girardi. I'm not really convinced now, looking back, that he even was a real candidate, a real choice, had a real shot. And I am going to ask that question to um, to someone within the Mets front office. Let's just put it at that. If, if in fact, they do agree to come on with me next week or the week after. And um, if not, and if that, whatever, like I said before, if that falls through, whatever, I'm going to ask Joe Girardi himself. I will ask that question to Joe Girardi. I want to pick his brain on on how he felt. Did, did he really get a real chance? Did he feel like they were just interviewing him to interview him? Because I've been there. My brains were picked almost for one hour for a position that I went for. And I found out after the fact that they already interviewed the guy that they ended up hiring. So is that the case for the Mets? Did they just bring Joe Girardi in to pick his brain as as the analyst that he is? Current, you know, his current role was analyst. Did they want to know about certain things and then hand those keys to Carlos Beltran? Because I certainly feel that that's what happened with me. I mean, I had short term goals and not so long term goals handed over on a piece of paper, and then I I didn't get the job. And I wonder if that's how Joe Girardi felt as well. And believe me, I will I will get to the bottom of that for you guys, for you Mets fans. So, Carlos Beltran, I'm done hearing about that. Caught looking. Don't bring that here, like I said before. I I think he'll be okay. I mean, I, this this phony outrage, I just feel like everybody that, that tries to put a microphone in front of their face has to have an opinion 
And it's usually negative just for the shock value. But you know what? You never know until you try. You know, I felt I was ready without really any experience. And I just think that when you know, you know. I mean, I was a good softball player. Actually, I played baseball until I had to switch to softball as a freshman in high school. I know the game. And I also know how to work with players. So if Carlos Beltran is saying, and everybody's saying he's got this humongous high baseball IQ, and not just media people. I mean, these are people within the game of baseball are saying that. And he knows how to manage players because he was as close to a player manager as he could get when he played. Isn't that the same thing? So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, provided that he has an experienced bench coach riding along there with him. So more of your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. Of course, obviously, I'm going to be taking them and talking with you. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Roberts, tomorrow at 10 a.m. We react to the Jets-Dolphins game, plus the rest of Week 9. We'll also preview Giants-Cowboys. Carl Banks will join us. It's the Midday Show right here on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan. Back with you on The Fan. I'm just checking, just as, as that was coming out, the temperature. It is freezing outside. It is 36 degrees, and it feels like it's 15 outside, <laughs> really, because, you know, we're not used to it. And uh, it seems as though everybody's enjoying their little extra hour of sleep tonight rather than talking to me about sports here. So let's light up these phone calls, 877-337-6666. Let's, let's go back right into the Mets because I do have a, a call on hold about the Mets. Now, in my opinion, the Mets, their off-season moves, I think, number one, their biggest need, and the Mets' biggest need, and, and I will talk to Jim Duquette in a while about this, they need a reliable, big splash relief pitcher. And I combed the market a little bit today, and I came up with, how about this one, Mets fans? How about Will Smith? No, not the men in black. Will Smith, the pitcher, who just played in San Francisco. He kind of hits, really. But he has, most importantly, though, he has the most saves of anyone on the free agent market, 34, and one of the lowest ERAs on the free agent market for relief pitchers. And the Mets, as a team last season, had 38 saves. Will Smith had 34. He wouldn't be cheap, though, because he's 30 years old, which is like sort of like prime real estate. And my favorite website... The market value is, is, is it's sport track, and they project his market value to be a three-year, $24 million deal, so about $8 million a year. I think it was 8.1. And, you know, it's not cheap. And But I'm thinking that maybe Brody Van Wagenen could work on a little deal because Will Smith is a CAA client. And he's also had Tommy John surgery, too, about him. But another cheaper option, maybe, than Mets wanted to go that way because that seems... Sorry to be the trend. Sergio Romo, he just recently played for the Twins. He had 20 saves last season. And I am going to set Mark, uh, Romo's market value around $2.5 a, a year, which is significantly less than Smith's, even if he garners, let's say, $3 million per year. Set out to Farmingdale. Chris, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, yes, yeah, I'm doing a security job right now, and I'm like, I have to keep turning on my car because it's getting so cold. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I would love to have Will Smith. That'd be great. Um, you know, I, they they need three arms. I don't I don't know what they're gonna do, but they need an overhaul and they need a starter. Um, 
Hey, then speaking of a starter, now that um, Strasburg is a free agent, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I think they should go after him. You know, he could pitch in the postseason. I mean, I would rather take Bumgarner, but uh, he's getting up there in age. But I would definitely go with with Strasburg. They definitely need another starter um, if they're not going to get Wheeler. Um, for the Mets, you're Bel- what's that? You're saying for the Mets? Yeah. You don't think the Mets have a good enough starting rotation now? You, you mean you got Degrom, well, you got Syndergaard, you got Matt? Yeah, but you don't have you're not you're not you don't have Wheeler. You're, you he's he's gone. So you have I mean, who's going to be your fifth starter? You're going to put Lugo in there? I I think Lugo should be at least a uh, setup man or a closer. They're yeah, going to be a fifth starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as far as look, I wanted Girardi, and then I wanted Buck. If it wasn't for Girardi, um, and. I knew if they were going to hire Beltron someone else uh, as a first time, it was going to be because uh, they wanted another puppet. They want somebody that they can tell, they can send a text message, say, hey, I want Cano batting third, or I want this to happen, I want that to happen. And being that Beltron is, you know, pretty laid back, and, and I think that's why. But I'm excited for Beltron. He was one of my favorite players. I'm glad he got the job. He was he was the third guy I wanted. Um but here's another thing I'm, I'm kind of worried about because, you know, he's a player's manager. Is he going to have the guts to sit down a guy for not hustling? Is he going to have the guts to say, listen, Diaz, you don't have it today. You haven't had it for a week. Um, I'm not going to put you in because we're going to start losing games again. I need the guy who's going to, yeah, be a player's manager, but at the same time, no, no one want to put your foot down because you can't have another Cowboy up there. But I think Beltron is going to be the manager that's um, – He's good with analytics, I would think, and I think he's going to be a very smart manager. I think I think they got a good one. I'm excited. I just hope, you know, just manage the bullpen correctly because we haven't had that done in years. Yeah, Chris, thanks for the call. Very good phone call. And listen, as soon as you knew that Girardi wasn't uh, going to get the Mets job, you knew Showalter had a slim to none, 0% chance pretty much. And that's a good point is, is Beltran as a first-year manager – going to be able to step up and tell a guy, listen, you're not hustling, so you're going to hustle your butt right on the bench. And what comes to mind, I'm sorry, is Robinson Cano. And Robinson Cano, right, It was a former teammate of Carlos Beltran with the Yankees. Were they together? i got to look that up. Um, but that's hard. If that's true, that's hard to be able to tell your former teammate to, uh, to take a seat. So if you're in the Mets... You have your starter pitch and go six innings, let's just say, because that's pretty much, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard, that, that's been their, their MO, six innings. Then, if you're Beltran, you, you have your A-team relief effort, it would look like this. You got to figure out Diaz, that's first. Edwin Diaz, you got to get him right again. So, if your starter goes six innings, this is like a perfect scenario. Diaz pitches the seventh. Lugo gets the eighth. And then you call Will Smith to close out the ninth. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about if you're a Met fan. Shout out to Oakland, New Jersey. Matt, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. I, uh, I'm, I'm worried about this Jet game. You know, like, uh, they, you know, you got, you're going into Miami and you got this Fitz magic that comes out. They're not dealing with Josh Rosen anymore. And, you know, Sam Darnold, and they just need to get back to, to doing the little things right, which they really haven't been doing. Well, because they have a coach that, that can't make an in-game adjustment, and they have a coach who can't coach up a young rookie quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I totally agree with you. If they 
if they get beat bad today, I think uh, I think they should leave him in in Miami. Well, Matt, not even bad. If if they lose by one point in Miami, they should just leave him there. Leave him on the beach. <laughs> and I totally think uh, I think you got the better of the deal on this uh, on this bet though with JJ. Yeah, you think uh, you think he's gonna have to give me a Jets chant? <laughs> I, I think that he's gonna have to give you a Jets chant and. I think uh, I think that even if if you lost, he gets a picture, but you get this uh, drop that you can use forever and ever. I know that's what I'm most excited about, Matt. Thanks for the call. Uh, I'm most excited to hear JJ yelling J E T S, and I know this game later today absolutely means like pretty much nothing, you know, for anybody involved. Really, for me, and I guess for JJ, it, it means a little bit. Because, again, the bet between the two of us, and you know John Jastrzemski, J.J. after dark, he talks a big game, you know. And, I mean, maybe so do I, but I do not want to wear a Dan Marino jersey here next week. Rich in Montgomery, you're on the fan. How's it going? Good. How are you, Rich? Good. So, Danielle, I'm a 24-year-old Knicks fan. I have never seen the Knicks be good. We talked about that last week, yeah. Yeah, um, it looks like they might have found a guy in the second round in, uh, in, in Mitchell Robinson. Knox looks like he can shoot. Fair, it's early yet. You start making some free throws, but he looks like a piece. But everyone knows the NBA is a star-driven league. Where are the Knicks going to get a star? Because God knows we're not moving up in the draft. So, you know, it's, it's we're going to get a star. Well, Rich, thanks for the call. And, and you got to think that R.J. Barrett, I mean, how many games have they played so far? A handful. R.J. Barrett has all the workings of of being that star. I mean, they're still trying to figure out, you know, cement a role for him. But having Neil Aquina as as the one guard and R.J. Barrett as the two guard, I mean, that's going to help him. That as a rookie, I had, oh, I don't think I at 19 years old, I do not think that I would want to be dribbling the ball up the court in Madison Square Garden in front of the home crowd, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So as a 19-year-old, I mean, let me tell you something. When I was 19 years old, I watched um, at college. We were out late, you know, and we watched the clock go from 2 o'clock all the way back to 1 o'clock, and we thought it was the craziest thing on on a night like this. We thought it was the craziest thing ever. And you look at R.J. Barrett, who's running or was running the point for the New York Knicks at that same age. I mean, uh that's a lot of responsibility. So I think that moving him to the two, bringing Neil Kina in for the one, um, it didn't result in more points for Barrett. I, he only threw up uh, 15 that, that night, that one and only night that they did try that. But it's an adjustment. You have to make the adjustment. And as far as star power, I mean, I think R.J. Barrett might have it. And if the Knicks start winning a game or two or a couple dozen, you never know. The Knicks might be the destination. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Maybe next year it might be the free agent destination. Speaking of free agent destinations, are the Jets really done for? Are the Jets really done for? I mean, you have a splintering locker room. You have a coach that that can't make an in-game adjustment to save his career, literally. And he's going down. He's taking his team down to Miami. I I, I broke in with the, the Will Smith, Miami Dolphins, or whatever, the Welcome to Miami song from the album Big Willie Style. A little throwback there. And 
it's just a this is a quintessential trap game for me. The Dolphins are 0 and 7. The Jets need to win. If this is a must-win game for the Jets this season, it's this one. And I told you I went to Twitter and did my my famous Twitter poll of I asked a question to Jets fans especially I said how would you rank the level of confidence you have in your team as they head to Miami? I had four options. One, the New York Jets have it in the bag. Two, well, they'll win, but I'm not going to bet my money on it. Option C or three was I'm 50-50 on a Jets win or loss. And option four is the New York Jets will lose. Let me tell you something. Only 9% said the Jets have this game in the bag. 9% of Jets fans think that their team can beat a winless Miami Dolphins team. 9%. Then it was kind of sort of split between, you know, 50-50, not going to bet my money. But more importantly, 40% of Jets fans think that their team is going to go down to MIA and take a big L versus the Miami Dolphins. 40% of Jets fans. And obviously the main storyline is Adam Gase, he's going to be a visitor versus a team that he used to coach for. And his quote was, uh, it's going to be a little bit weird coming out of the visiting tunnel. Great stuff there. That was riveting stuff there, Adam Gase. Really, really, I'm just, really. And um, we could talk some keys to the game on the other side of the upcoming break, but, I mean, the Jets, I mean, uh, they're not a lock by any means to win this game. The Jets, like I said in the open, they haven't won in Miami since 2015. Miami just lost to the Redskins by one point. They had a halftime lead over the Bills and the Steelers, and they just didn't finish. If Miami gets out to a, a even a one-touchdown lead against these Jets, I think it's a stick of fork in the New York Jets. I have my keys to the game. I'll go over them, too. Keys to the game. I mean, it's got to be offensive line play of the New York Jets. And I'm just talking from a Jet perspective. The offensive line has to be better. The next key to the game for the Jets is how is Adam Gase going to utilize Le'Veon Bell? Has he figured it out yet? It's week nine. Bell is on the short list. I would say what what would you guys would agree, maybe definitely top five in, in the NFL. I mean, let's put uh, Saquon Barkley up there. Let's put Ezekiel Elliott up there. And Bell's not too far behind. Can you imagine if he had an offensive line that could block for him? But in any event, Le'Veon Bell has not been utilized correctly in the Adam Gase offense. And is that Adam Gase as, you know, Mr. I didn't want him anyway, so, you know, I'm just going to try and run him out of town sort of thing. Or is that really Adam Gase not knowing how to use him? Either way, it's not a good look for Adam Gase. And the third key to the game, and we'll get more into it after you know after the break, but the Jets need to exploit a really bad Dolphins defense. I mean, really bad. And if they want to get Sam Darnold back on track, I mean, he was sacked by Jacksonville eight times. Over the past two weeks, he's thrown seven interceptions. If they want to get Sam Darnold back on track, this is the week to do it. And if it doesn't happen this week, it's not going to happen the rest of the season. And my players to watch for those reasons, obviously, Le'Veon Bell. 
and Jamal Adams. Oof. We'll dissect that whole drama after the break. Line up your phone calls, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Hey, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan back with you in this 3 o'clock hour now on WFAN New York City, Lower Manhattan, the flagship for Sports Talk Radio, of course, in New York City. And we've hit some Mets stuff. Talk about the new manager. Yes. The Mets have selected. The smoke is uh, is coming from the, the Vatican. The Sistine Chapel in Queens. And the Mets have selected Carlos Beltran as their next manager. After a very, uh, in my opinion, extensive interview process. We talked about the Mets' biggest offseason moves. They need relief pitching. And... They can almost, you can almost think that the Mets might need another bat. We can get into that and my suggestion for that. But I really wanted to take this time to talk about the New York Jets and Jamal Adams. And uh, Jamal Adams, there's a timeline here. You know that he's a little disgruntled with, with his employer, the New York Jets. And here's the timeline, as, as concise as I can keep this. He, on October 29th, sent out a tweet saying that any reports of me asking to be traded from the New York Jets are completely false. Then, he also tweeted the same day, at the end of of the week last week, I sat down with the GM and Coach Gase and told them I want to be here in New York. I was told yesterday by my agent that the GM then went behind my back and shot me around to teams even after I asked him to help or to keep me here. Crazy business. See, now this is me now. This is not Jamal Adams' words. I'm going to say the problem I have is with the obvious communication breakdown between and among Adam Gase, Adams, and Douglas. In this conversation, allegedly, was Adams really called a cornerstone of the team? Adam Gay said on Thursday, whoa, uh, uh, I don't really know what that means. In this conversation, was, was Jamal Adams told he would not be shopped? Or was that information conveniently left out? And if the Jets were interested in hearing offers for him, why wasn't he told that would be the case? Obviously, everybody, before you get on me, I obviously understand that, that GM Douglas has a job to do. And if Adams could garner a long haul, which he obviously would. I mean, didn't it say that they were looking for a one and two twos, first rounder and two second rounders? Is that what it was? That's a long haul, right, to a team that, that's bad. That's a long haul to rebuild with. That, and that would mean that Jamal Adams indirectly would, or even directly would help Douglas's team moving forward. I get that. I get that all but how hard is it for either you know the head coach or the general manager to step up and say listen I mean this is how I would have done it if I were Gase or Douglas I would have said listen Jamal we're not shopping you but we will listen to offers for you I just want you to know that but on the other hand you are an asset to our team 
And we will only pull the trigger if the offer absolutely blows us away. Because it's going to set us up for the future. And that's what you're worth. That's how I would have done it. Because at this point in time, I don't think that's how it was done. And I honestly have no real problem with his initial reaction. Because to me, that says that a logical piece of that conversation did not occur. And as a coach myself, you guys know that. I've observed. I've observed it. That you cannot spring anything on anyone. Players-wise. I've observed it. And I haven't done it. Nobody enjoys things being sprung on them. Nobody likes that. That's why I've never done it. And I've also had never never had any issues. Unfortunately for Gase and company, though, Jamal Adams can get that message out to 650,000 people in, on Twitter in an instant. And then it becomes a thing. And then we're still talking about it here on WFAM. Because it's going to affect the Dolphins game tomorrow. Is Jamal Adams going to show up playing with his hair on fire, as Boomer likes to say, to prove a point? Or is he just going to lay down and be like, you know what, you guys didn't really want me anyway, so I'm just going to dog it today. I don't think dogging it is in Jamal Adams' DNA. But I could say as a coach, that conversation has to happen. I have never gotten jammed up, me, because I am transparent and honest with my stakeholders. And I feel that Adam Gase and Joe Douglas should be the same way. Now, this is something that people aren't really talking about. Let's enter Le'Veon Bell into this conversation. Because also on that same day, all on October 29th, Le'Veon Bell posts a one-minute video to Twitter pleading with Jets fans for their patience in the turnaround. So far, so good with him. But keep him in the back of your mind. He'll, he'll come back in a second. Then it gets really ugly. Wednesday, October 30th, press conference. Jamal Adams says, I woke up Monday morning. And I kind of found out through a couple of reliable people that I have some trust in that I was being chopped around. I've done everything that the Jets, have asked, the Jets have asked me to do since I've been here for three years. I didn't take that lightly. My agent called me, and he told me what was going on, and it definitely hurt me. The Rams... They don't take calls on Aaron Donald. The Patriots, they don't take calls on Tom Brady. That's where I hold myself in that regard. Well, this is where I have a little problem because comparing yourself to Donald and Brady, let's pump the brakes on that, Jamal, a little bit. It's great that you hold yourself in that regard, and probably your mom does too, but you need to prove it for longer than just your rookie deal, longer than just three seasons. Then... He further clarifies via Twitter in a quote tweet, Jamal Adams. He says, I'm not saying I'm the greatest ever, but you shouldn't tell a guy that you are the cornerstone of a team on Friday that you won't be moved and then negotiate terms with teams three days later. Then he continues to say, but look, I'm at peace with everything. It's all love. And this goes back to the communication breakdown I referenced earlier. Then an October 30th tweet, locked in. My focus on this team is the Dolphins game on Sunday. I'm past everything. Looking forward to taking the field and competing. October 31st, Adams maybe didn't finish or didn't practice. It wasn't clear. Adams said, Jamal, he got his foot stepped on, so we held him out of practice. 
Same day, Adam turns, uh, Adams turns away Gase and GM. He said he's, he's not ready to talk to them. Sounds like a petulant child. I'm not ready to talk to you. But he did sit down with, uh, with Chris Johnson. But here comes Le'Veon Bell back. Are you ready for this one? No one's talking about this. Le'Veon Bell said, all the way from left field, which contradicts exactly what Adams said. Are you ready for this? October 31st, Le'Veon Bell came on an uninterrupted podcast, and he said, there's a quote in terms of himself. There were teams like Houston, the Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs, and surprisingly the Steelers, which I'm not surprised about. They were all in the mix to try and trade for me. Ready for this? GM Joe Douglas took his time out to call me. He kind of told me that they weren't really shopping me in a sense, but teams kind of inquired about me before the trade deadline. And, you know, he was honest with me. And he said he was open to it. So wait a second. Wait one minute. We're going to, if, okay, let's take Jamal Adams' words and Le'Veon Bell's words for as truth. Both of them are telling the truth. Why would the GM take the initiative to have the exact same conversation I outlined earlier with one player, Bell, but not the other, Adams? So for me, I started really thinking about this. There's more questions than answers at this point. And I wish I had the opportunity to ask this. And maybe if you're a media person and you're listening tonight, maybe you can on my behalf. You give me a little credit on that. But first, can we take both players at their word for telling the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Okay, there's always three sides to every story. But let's just say that they're both telling the truth. Adam says that conversation never happened with me. Bell says, of course it happened with me. He, Joe Douglas took the time out of his day to call me to keep me updated, basically. So why would one player get the, we'll listen to the calls talk, and the other not? Did Adams, Jamal Adams, just maybe miss that part of the conversation? You know, you don't want to, you know, hear the things you don't want to hear. You don't, you just kind of push them to the side. Maybe he didn't want to hear that part and kind of just marked it as, I'll use a case word in this sense, irrelevant. How many times do you say that during a press conference? Irrelevant. Anyway, my next question is, why then, after all this, did Le'Veon Bell make it a point to discuss that bit of information? Was it a sneaky way for Bell to throw Adams a dig? By saying, without saying, that his experience was the exact opposite of Jamal Adams, who's disgruntled? And I even looked in Friday, October 1st, the Adam Gase press conference, watched the whole thing, took notes on it. Someone asked him, you know, have you sat down yet with Jamal Adams? His response, word for word, was, just on Thursday, when he went down at practice, we're just focused on Miami. I'm not worried about anything before that. Oh, what? So you mean to tell me that you haven't talked to, to, to Jamal Adams? The captain of your defense in a, in a week? Is that what you're trying to tell me? What is wrong with that picture? And that comes after uh, last week when I watched the press conference. And and who was it? Adam Gase. They were asking, well, you mean, what do you mean you haven't, you haven't talked to him yet? What do, what do you mean you haven't gone in there yet? 
And it was a Coletio Semley. They said, what do you mean you haven't talked to him yet? Oh, I don't know. It's just uh, he was uh, he was getting worked on in the in the room, and uh, you know. And then they were like, well, "Isn't he at the facility?" Oh yeah, he's at the facility. And I've been to the Jets facility. It's not that big. <laughs> so clearly, there's a communication breakdown. I, I, my opinion, I think there's a communication breakdown going on in and among the New York Jets, and it's been bubbling to the surface now. And losing, we'll do that. It's been bubbling to the surface now with Coleccio Semley, who's now gone gone for the season. And now it's coming to the forefront with Jamal Adams. Man, Jamal Adams. I, like I said well, maybe three or four weeks ago here, right here on this program, I said that if it comes down to picking between Jamal Adams and Adam Gase, and this is after the first uh, scuffle that they got into, the miscommunication going back this far, that... Uh, when uh, Adam Gaze benched Jamal Adams at the end of the game. I forget what game that was, but didn't tell him. And then subsequently didn't tell him why he benched him. That's a huge problem for me. That's a huge problem for me. I'm not talking as a fan perspective. I'm just talking about the way this organization is run. Obje- you know, Objectively speaking, as this, as this organization is run, you have to placate, and I hate to say this, but you have to placate the guys that are going to help you. And Jamal Adams is a guy that's going to help you. He's in the he's a top flight safety in this league. I mean, he single handedly saved the Jets from losing to the Dolphins. I mean, to the the Cowboys that game. He snuffed out the play before it happened on on a two point conversion. So if I'm picking between Adam Gase and Jamal Adams. 100 times out of 100, I'm picking Jamal Adams. The guy plays with passion. He plays every down like it's his last. And then you get a lame duck coach in there who's quarterback, a young quarterback he's brought in to, to be a mentor for. And the quarterback admits on, on national TV, on his mic'd up, whatever, that he's seeing ghosts. And the problem I have with that comment is that he's seeing ghosts, is that his coach isn't there to pick him up. His coach isn't there to make an in-game adjustment to pick up the blitzer, the, the Patriots blitzer that's literally running right through the line, untouched. I mean, me or, or, or you, Nick, or, or you, Marco, we could be playing defensive back for the Patriots and, and registering some sacks. Where are the in-game adjustments? I'm not sure. And I think for that reason, the Jets are in trouble today, Miami. This is this is an appropriate song here. The Eminem song. You had one chance one chance to make it. Whatever, however it goes. Well, this is Adam Gase's chance down in, in Miami today. And it also applies to Carlos Beltran. He's got one chance to make it with the Mets. Because the Mets have a very young core of players. That, in my opinion, it's it's really hard to break in another manager with them. You got Jacob Degrom, who's getting older. I mean, but then you have this young core of players that eventually you're going to have to pay. The Mets are win now, in my opinion, and Carlos Beltran, he better bring it. He better bring his A game. Joey in Massapequa, thanks for hanging on. You're on the fan. Hey, how you doing, 
you think the, the Mets will do it this year and tonight the Knicks? They're playing a big game tonight. You think they'll win tonight, the Knicks? Thanks, Joey, for the call. Um, listen, the, the Mets, do you think I can, the Mets can do it this year? Um, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it as a wild card team. And we're talking, I'm projecting next year already. If the Mets are going to do it, they're going to do it as a wild card team because they got the Braves in front of them. And the Braves had one of the best records in the NL. But when we did some McCart math here uh, not long ago, I did say that they could bolster the bullpen. I don't have the math in front of me, but if they could bolster the bullpen, the Mets could theoretically gain back. If uh, it was something like if if they saved seventy percent of the the saves that they missed, the Mets would be like in second place in the AL, in the NL East. That, in my opinion, is uh, is how the Mets are going to make it make it if they make it anywhere. And and a wild card team, you saw it, the Washington Nationals. They did it. But now the Mets are residing in a division that has the Atlanta Braves and the defending world champion, Washington Nationals. It's not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy at all. And as far as the Knicks, the Knicks are playing at the Detroit Pistons tonight. Uh, well, later tonight. Or no, they play on Wednesday. Is that their next game, Wednesday? That can't be right. No, they're playing the Kings. That's right. They play 6 p.m. versus Sacramento Kings. Uh, do the do they win? I don't know. I honestly I don't I don't know. Can RJ Barrett score more than eighteen points, which he's been basically averaging? Can he really take charge? Can the guy make a foul shot? Hate to get on a nineteen year old rookie. Nick. But my God, we talked about it with Chris Sheeran, was it last week? I mean, I brought it up. His foul shooting has been atrocious. Terrible. And if that game comes down to him. I mean, if I'm if I'm the Kings, if that game is a close game, I'm fouling him. I'm putting Barrett on the line. He shot, what, 66% in college? And he's shooting, like, what, 30-something in the NBA? You could fact-check me on that. But it's not good. It's definitely not 66%. So do they win? I don't know. I'm not so sure. Let's head out to Lindbrook. Jim, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you doing? Okay, how are you? All right, I've been listening to WFAN for probably 40 years of my life. Okay. Okay. And I, I love you. I love your spirit. I love the way you're coming at it. I'm also a uh, Jets, uh, unfortunately, maybe a Jets season ticket holder. Um, we have six figures invested in the New York Jets. Okay. So, I mean, between the PSLs, right. the eight tickets we own, and then you're coming out for 30 minutes I mean, I, 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 what do they call that? Beating a dead fish in a barrel. I think it's beating I mean, a dead horse. Get it. I mean, the Jets are busted. There's no doubt about it. But you don't have to go on a 30-minute rant on how bad the Jets are. We get it. We live in New York, right? And I, 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 look, I get you're getting your shot and everything else. It offends me to invest the amount of money that I have in the New York Jets for you to come out and go on a 30-minute rant on WFAN on how bad the Jets are. So what, what would it. you like me to say? No, no, I get it. I mean, I, I'm investing. You, your, your words are just your words. My money is invested into this franchise, okay? We buy the tickets. We show up every day. We get it, okay? 
You went on a 30-minute rant beating up the entire – I get – I mean, like, what, what do you want me to say? I don't so, know. Like, I mean, what, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to come on here and say, oh – took 30 minutes of New York City's radio airtime to beat up something that's dead, and we know it's dead. So, 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 so uh, let me ask you, as a season ticket holder, what would you like me to talk about here on the fan? Uh, well, well, Do you want me to talk about how, how, it's, all, how it's all rosy in Inform Park? There, there, first Come of all, on. there's two things you have to do if you're a New York Jets season ticket holder. You have to pay for your seats and the personal seat license. You don't think I know that? Okay. So start doing the math and who's getting screwed. Sounds like you crowd. because you don't know when it's time to dump the team, man. Maybe you should just go on StubHub and buy the tickets cheaper. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. First I mean, of all, it, it's the same thing that you're stuck with: bad management, bad management, bad management. So, am I supposed to sit here and ignore that? Uh, yeah, but you don't. I mean, yeah, I am. I am supposed to sit here and ignore the fact that the Jets have an inept coach that can't make an in-game decision, and okay, an owner but, that tells a fan that he hopes his team shows up. Am I supposed to ignore that? Hold on. When a corpse is laying on the ground, and we all know it's... No, no, I'm answering my question first, bro. Is that supposed to be what I'm supposed to be doing? Oh, let me just ignore the New York Jets and and, and the dumpster fire that they are? I'm sorry that you feel offended. If a dead dead body is sitting there... Were you a snowflake snowflake for Halloween, Jim? Were you offended by the fact that I am pointing out the obvious about the New York Jets... I don't six figures. I I doubt it's six figures that you have invested in this team because you know what? Then Jim, that makes you an idiot. That makes you an idiot for investing six figures in this team. Because if I wanted to go on StubHub and look up a ticket for the game, which I just might, I'm not paying six figures for that team. I'm paying seventy five dollars would be too much. And the parking pass. You don't need to explain to me what it is. I got called to be a Jets season ticket holder. Uh, ten years ago, it was. Ten years ago, they called me to be a season ticket holder. And at that point, I decided a car was more important to me than to watch the the uh, the New York Jets dumpster fire ten years ago. I invested two hundred ninety nine dollars or three ninety nine in a Mark Sanchez authentic jersey at training camp with my free ticket to training camp that I can't even wear it anymore. Because I get laughed at. I mean, you think, you know, people in New York have invested money in in all of our teams. And maybe it's time for you to call up your season ticket representative. Because they still call me. And maybe it's time for you to cancel your your six-figure season ticket plan with the New York Jets. But you cannot get on me for coming on WFAN at 3 o'clock in the morning, and telling it how it is. Adam Gase was the wrong hire. Jamal Adams, your defensive captain, is unhappy. Trying to force himself a trade, in my opinion. And you got a quarterback seeing ghosts on the sideline and a coach that's supposed to be the ghost whisperer, the quarterback whisperer, the ghost buster for him, and he's just not. And your team passed... On, on, on a Super Bowl winning coach in McCarthy for this this pathetic product that they're putting out on the field. And don't be surprised if the New York Jets lose to the Miami Dolphins. And you know what? In my bet with JJ, 
that, that if, if the Dolphins win, I have to come in here wearing, wearing a Dan Marino jersey next week? Well, you know what? I'll come in here wearing a Dan Marino jersey next week if that means that Adam Gase is, is still stuck in Miami trying to find a flight home. I'll happily do that. If that's what it has to take, that's what I'll happily do. Anthony New Rochelle, you're on the fan. Hey, how you doing? How are you? Gentlemen's point was not that you don't have the ability. And I'm a Giant fan, a Laker fan, and a Yankee fan. I've seen 20-something championships, you know, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not sour a bit about nothing. But I guess the gentleman's point was, and not nothing against you or anybody, but what's the sense in talking about a bad team for 30 minutes? I guess that, 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 that's, that's what it's point. Not that you don't have the ability to do that, and not that it's not <clears throat> uh, what you're saying is not honest. It's, it's not an honest assessment. But sometimes as a, as a person listening to the fan, like the Mets, <clears throat> When they're bad, the Mets fans call all the time. If you listen to the show, you know it. Complain about management, complain about ownership, complain. You know, and sometimes a Yankee fan, I, I don't want to hear it because I'm listening to the fan, you know, for positive things. And, you know, so I guess that's what his point. Not that you don't have the ability, not what you're saying is lying, but man, who wants to hear it? for, you know, for 30 minutes, how bad it is. Well, Anthony, I mean, if you've listened to my show before and thanks for the call, you know that I am mostly positive. You understand I am mostly positive. I mean, the Giants are what, two and six, and I'm positive about the Giants. And I'll talk Jets keys to the game in a second, but spoiler alert, I actually predicted a Jets win today, despite all this. Actually, I have the Jets beating the Dolphins 21-14. And as as I've never really complained ever on this air once about Mets management. Maybe that's some other shows on the on, on this program, but not mine. Not mine. You're not going to come at me, try to flex at how much money that you pay for your season tickets. I'm telling the truth. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to give my truthful perspective on what's happening here in New York sports. And especially with these New York Jets. And as I sit here, and I will post a picture. I, Nick, help me out. What am I wearing right now, Nick? Tell the fans. What am I wearing? Let me stand up. Uh, your Jets hoodie. I'm wearing a Jets sweatshirt. Everybody. Okay? So, I'm affected in all this, too. Ricky, in the uh, village. You're on a fan. Home girl. What's up? No, that guy was a total idiot. Two callers ago. Yeah. So okay. I think he was just—I think he was just desperate for attention. So you handled it well. Thanks, Ricky. And um, yeah, I mean, the Jets—it's—it's it's, it's pathetic. I feel bad for my friends that are season ticket holders. I call them during the game to see how they how they're doing. <laughs> and I don't know, just New York sports. I don't know. It's, it's depressing, but. Whatever. Just want to just reach out and tell you, you know, don't listen to the corn balls. You're doing great. Thanks, Ricky. I appreciate that. Oh, sorry, I cut you off, Ricky. But thanks, for, I appreciate that. You know, the corn balls. I know they're out there. I do get it. And I know the Jets fans are frustrated. My uncle Leo is a humongous Jet fan. He calls me multiple times during the game to tell me how terrible it is. We talked today, but about how terrible it is. Misery loves company. We, I get that. I basically have a degree in psychology. I get that. Misery loves company. But I'm not going to come on this with this microphone in front of my face on this radio station and ignore what's going on with the New York Jets. I just can't do it. That's not in my DNA to, to, to do that. 
And if you're a listener to the show, if you follow my social media channels, you know that I am about resolving problems, fixing things, giving suggestions, for example, tonight for the Mets. Their biggest need is reliable uh, pitching. I gave two options. Will Smith is the marquee option. But if the Mets don't want to go there, I gave another option. Sergio Romo. And I think I think these cornballs that are calling up, to use your word, I mean, these guys, you guys have a lot to say. And unfortunately, if you're paying six figures for Jets season tickets for eight seats, I mean, you're a moron at this point in time. And getting back to, to when they were calling me for season tickets, I picked the right investment. A car that lasted me 10 years that I just got rid of. The car was a better investment. The depreciation on a car, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it starts to occur exponentially. And that was a better investment than Jets season tickets 10 years ago. I get it. I figured it out. So I'm just, I'm not going to ignore it. I can't ignore it. Oh, now you guys go got me all riled up. We'll hit the break. 877-337-6666. We're here till 6 a.m., everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. And hello again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan after midnight, or now shall we say McCartan in the morning. <laughs> uh, we have a full, it's, it's football Sunday, and we have a full slate of football games. Well, we have, uh, we have the London game at 9 a.m., followed by the Jet game, and then at 4 o'clock, we have like, 12 hours of football or more to watch tomorrow. And, of course, our New York Giants are playing our, meaning New York, our New York Giants are playing on Monday Night Football versus the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, got lots of calls, Jets and Giants on, on hold here. So let me just finish up with the Jets. I just My players to watch in the Jet games tomorrow or later today is going to be Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell. Um, Adams, for obvious reasons. So we're going to see how he plays after all the drama this week, all of us viewers. Um, will he give a half-hearted effort out of there with his hurt feelings, or will he absolutely ball out to prove that he's in the same category of Brady and Donald? And just so you know, last week, Adams played every single snap in Week 8 versus the Jaguars, tied the team for the lead of six tackles. So uh, I'm going to go out and venture and say that he's going to ball out. And Le'Veon Bell, I'd like to see how they're going to use him. Because after having twelve only twelve touches last week, I mean that's 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 shameful. So the top three running backs in the league, and he had a conversation with Adam Gase after the game last week. So I have him on my fantasy team, my free league. Which by the way, I also picked up uh, Jimmy Garoppolo because uh, Mahomes went out. He's my quarterback, and Garoppolo four touchdown passes for me. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, the Jets are, are, are three-point favorites coming into the game versus the winless Dolphins. Um, my prediction, as I spoiled before, but my prediction is that the Jets do come away with a win. 21, Dolphins 14. And that game's at 1 p.m. on CBS, and I'd like to see how the Jets' defense looks without Leonard Williams. A lot of pressure on Quinn and Williams now, number three overall pick in the draft. Artie Manhawken, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, nice meeting you. <laughs> how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Listen, don't let these chauvinists get on you, huh, kid? Uh, just anybody that's been a hundred grand on the Jets, 
she got to be in therapy a long, long time. <laughs> maybe that is his therapy, the, the calling here, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and trying to burden you with that is horrific. Maybe you should talk to someone else. Well, I, have, I almost have a, a full degree in psychology, so I can handle it for sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so what's You're up? You're doing a great job, Thank by you. the way. Thank you. What do you want to talk about? The Jets, I see? Uh, yeah. Uh, the Jets, the Giants, uh, the Knicks, uh, until recently the Nets. Uh, the Rangers front office, pathetic. Seriously. Pathetic. You can throw the Mets in there, too. I mean, they, they never was for a long time. And uh, their fans are uh, always chomping at the bit. And they get halfway there, and then they make a mess every time. I'm a Yankee Giant fan. Giants are pathetic. They belong in the same category as the rest of them. <laughs> uh, I'm a Knicks fan. I haven't been able to wave, wave a banner for about 20 years. Um, New York sports, way overrated. Are way you, overrated. Are you, do you want to come and sit on my couch? No, not particularly. <laughs> no. no, no, I'm talking I'm about 75 the, the psych- years old. The psychological couch. Uh, euphoria with the teams anyway. But, uh, you know, the Yankees got me a little excited this year. I enjoyed that. Well, the Yankees, Artie, thanks for the call. The Yankees are going to be uh, good again next year. So there is hope there. Marty in Westchester, you're on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. Yes, you just uh, mentioned you'd like to see what the Jet defense uh, is going to look like uh, without uh, Leonard Williams. I'd like to see what the Giant defense is going to look like with him. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to take on uh, uh, tomorrow's uh, Monday night game. I know the uh, Giant offensive uh, uh, core is a Probably is as full strength as it's been all year. Yep, it is. Uh, Daniel Jones is coming off of a very good game against the Lions. Uh, but I think the same issue is going to be on defense. I don't see how they can ever make a stop in the fourth quarter of a close game. I like your take on the game. Yeah, and Marty, and I'll get to that in, in a little bit. I just got so many Jets calls. But um, I did have a little, little something on Leonard Williams and what he's going to do for the Giants. And just a little preview of that, I think that Leonard Williams, just the presence of him and, and the ability of, of him to draw – a double team is really going to spring the jet, uh, the Giants, Dexter Lawrence, the rookie Dexter Lawrence, because Dexter Lawrence, he's been sort of kind of, I, I don't want to use the word invisible, but not playing up to potential, I'll say. And I think that having Leonard Williams also next to him on that line uh, will definitely spring him. I, I like to use the word spring there. And I know that, that Giants fans, a lot of them questioned the move for Williams to begin with. And, I mean, he's been underwhelming for the Jets in the statistical category. Um, and so, for good reason, the Giants question the move. And why would Gettleman move a third-round 2020 pick and a fifth-round 2021 pick, which could become a fourth-rounder for the Jets if Williams signs the extension? But people are kind of forgetting or ignoring the fact that the Jets are picking up $4 million of the $6 million deal this season for Williams. So the Giants are kind of getting him... I want to say on the cheap. I know $2 million isn't cheap. Maybe to the other guy that called before it, it is, but not to me. And I, I for me, I, I mean, me personally, I'm saying, but for me, for the Giants, I think that they got a good little little preview of what, what he can do. Now, Gettleman obviously has put all of his stock into Williams falling in love with his young defense, not wanting to test the free agent market. Um, he's one of the oldest members on that defense. He's 25 years old. I think he might be third oldest on the entire defense. And Gettleman wants to entice him to sign the extension. And and what Leonard Williams has been is Leonard Williams has been reliable. He plays in like 80% of snaps every single season. 
And maybe this $2 million experiment just to see how having a guy like him net playing next to or, or alongside Dexter Lawrence, maybe maybe he'll flourish. And if Williams does not re-sign with the Giants at the end of the season, then, well, then Gettleman knows that an edge rusher or defensive end is something that he should obviously prioritize in coming into the draft next season. That's it if Williams' play does spring Lawrence. And conversely, the Jets are just trying to restock their mess with a GM that will be drafting his first class ever this season, which I thought was a mistake. If they were going to let McCagney go, they should have at least hired somebody and let him pick his own draft class. And I think a third and a fourth slash fifth round, they're pretty good spots to take an offensive lineman. Although I would still suggest the Tennessee model because the Titans took in the first round Taylor Lewan in 2014 and Jack Conklin in 2016. And then they coupled those two studs with uh, uh, Ben Jones in a fourth round by the Texans in, in 2012, who was up playing for the Titans now. And he, he became one of the best centers in football this season. And I also do like the fact that this little nugget that I that I came across, I forgot where, I'm sorry to whoever wrote this, but uh, Pat Shermer, he, I don't know if he does this often. I, maybe I'm going to ask this question, but I don't know how commonplace this is, but Pat Shermer actually brought in a left-footed punter off the practice squad to practice this week because the Cowboys have a left-footed punter. I mean, that is attention to detail that we see and we hear about at least with Bill Belichick, and I'm not saying Pat Shermer is Bill Belichick, but I think that's pretty innovative because Shermer explained it as, well, the ball spins opposite. That goes without saying. Depending on where the tip of the ball is, up or down, and how it drops away from you or carries away from you is absolutely opposite of a right-footed punter. And I thought that was a, a cute little adjustment. Stuart in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. Pleasure talking to you. How are you? Well, what do you Danielle, got for me? It's like, uh, you know, it's like they say, the Knicks, the Jets, the Mets, and a couple other teams, they have the same ideas on how to run things, and they just don't get it. They don't understand that you have to go out and get players that can perform at a high level. The guys they have don't, don't exactly do that. I mean, and, and the, the Mets... They just go out and get, they should have signed Girardi, that was my take, mm-hmm, mine too. or bring in Buck, or bring in someone with experience. Here they go again. They go out and get a second gentleman, and I don't know what the Carlos Beltran is going to be as a manager. I know one no thing, one he's does. a very good right. player, and I wish the fans would stop saying strike three. Yeah, me too. I said that before. I'm, I'm done hearing that. Yeah, I'm done. I don't want to hear it because you want to know what? He was a very good ball player. He was born a Hall of Famer. He was a borderline Hall of Famer. And the people just keep on saying, oh, they remember 2006. Forget 2006. <laughs> what he do? He did a lot of things for the Mets. He did a lot of offensive things. And he was probably the best defensive center fielder they ever had. And, uh, but the, the, the Jets... And uh, that was what the caller was saying before. Oh, was it you that said they should have hired Joe Douglas before the draft? That's what I said, yep. And they should uh, have. Before before everything. Yep. Because then this way he would have had his hands on the players Mm -hmm. that are there now, not on having McCagnin's McCagnin's players. Right. And and Stuart, yeah, thanks for the call, Stuart. I got to head to break in a second. But because you're right, we're both right. Because why would the Jets' ownership give the keys to the car 
the keys to the to, to the Ferrari, let's just say, to Mike McCagnan to draft the players and then fire him and then have this new guy come in and try to work with the players that he he didn't pick. And it's not that Dave Gettleman, um, Dave Gettleman, I'm sorry, Mike McCagnan is uh, a, a, a whiz at, at picking players. And if you looked at his, his first round, I mean, first round draft picks, and the Jets have been, you know, bad for quite some time. So they've gotten pretty up there on their first round draft picks. I think from 2010 to 2017, they are all either out of the league or playing on a different team. I mean, what? And let's not go into the the deeper rounds because you're missing on the first round. Or you can't, you don't have a culture to keep the, the guy that you picked here long enough to stay here long enough. And as far as Carlos Beltran, yes, I said it before. I'm tired of hearing about this strike three. I'm done. I, I do not want to hear that anymore. My God. You, you, everybody strikes out. Not in a big moment, but I, but I don't hear it anymore. It has nothing to do with how he's going to be a manager. And that, to that caller before, what was his name? Jim. This is my, Jim, if you're still listening, because I'm sure you are. Uh, this is my my way of being spinning a positive way on this because Carlos Beltran, he's a great player. He, he clearly knows the game. I mean, in my order, I would say that a catcher makes the best manager. A shortstop maybe would make the second, maybe slash pitcher. Third, the center fielder, because those are the three or four positions that are most heavily involved in every single play of every single game. And... He also has experience with the Puerto Rican national team in, in the World Baseball Classic, uh, Carlos Beltran does. So not only is he a good, had he been a good player, he has a good mind for the game, but he also is an ambassador for the game as well. And he worked in the front office with the, with the New York Yankees. And like I said before, you uh, better believe that Brian Cashman is not allowing Anybody to come into his inner circle of trust, just like in, in, in that show, Meet the Fockers, or the movie, Meet the Fockers. I'm sure some of you guys are chuckling now. Got lots of calls on hold. Keep them coming, 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight on The Fan. We'll get to more of your calls after the break. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. And good morning again, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on WFAN Radio, New York, New York, Lower Manhattan. And it is 4.06 a.m. on Sunday, November 3rd. Um, we have lots of calls lined up, Jets mostly, some Yankees. So quick Yankee point I wanted to go over. Um, the new news tonight was that um, our oldest Chapman will be coming back to the New York Yankees through, what is it, 2022. And uh, just a quick a quick uh, hit on that, and we'll go back to your Jets calls, but Hal Steinbrenner, in an email to the New York Post, said, I am obviously disappointed that we did not accomplish our goal of winning a world championship. That is what we set out to do every October, and we clearly failed in that endeavor. No one is denying that. So now I'm saying that the Yankees have started their off-season organizational meetings, and fans are wondering if, in fact, the Yankees will enter the Garrett Cole sweepstakes. Brian Cashman told you in the end-of-the-season press conference, someone asked him, is Steinbrenner going to be investing heavily? Cashman said, Yes. One word answer. Yes. But then there's this thing called the luxury tack threshold. If you didn't tune into my show last week, I'll define it again for you. And basically what that means is that if a team exceeds that particular number, there is money to be dispersed among all the smaller market teams and to keep the competition fair. So are the Yankees 
or are are the Yankees or are they not going to target the proven commodity that we all know is this the number one marquee starting pitcher on the market, Garrett Cole? Even if he'll most likely put them over the threshold. So it's not so clear. The Yankees aren't really showing their hand on what they're going to do, but I say go for it. You're the Yankees. You are in the win-now mode if i ever seen it in my life because you're eventually going to have to pay Aaron Judge and 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 Gleyber Torres and, and Gary Sanchez and, and all these guys. You're letting Didi go probably, most likely, this year because of that reason. So what you need, in my opinion, and this is is different than the narrative that the Steinbrenners are putting out, but in my opinion, you need, you need an ace starting pitcher. I, mean, I made the point before. If you looked at the, the Astros and the Nationals in the World Series— what do they both have in common? They both had three stud pitchers at the top of their rotation. And the Yankees had it in 2009, don't forget, not long that long ago. So I, I say my advice to the Yankees would be to steal a title or two. Go over the threshold, pay the penalty, whatever it is, steal a title or two with Garrett Cole leading the way, and then reload. Who cares where the money goes right this second? Shane, Mount Vernon, you're on the fan. Oh, hi, Danielle. Thanks for taking my call. Anytime. Thanks for holding. I know you were on hold for a long time. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering, who do you think the next Yankees pitching coach is going to be? And Shane, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, see, I don't know if there's there's. How do I say this? I don't know if there's like a like a like a name that's that's out there for the for the Yankees because I I really think that it. Like the managerial position has become more of like a te- like a team based sort of thing, like you know, with the analytics department, with the quality control coach, and, and they all work together. I really think the the next pitching coach is is going to be working with an analytics team with the Yankees because that's the way Aaron Boone seems to operate. So, like, what I mean by that is this: like, like right now, I, I don't have a name for you, um, and I and I I saw reports earlier this week that the Yankees might be looking at. Uh, collegiate pitching coaches. Um, not sure why that would be an advantage, but I, what I'm trying to say is that the Yankees uh, might want to follow the analytical approach with this. Um, Justin Verlander, take for example, he was pitching okay, and then when he went to Houston, he pitched great. And why is that? Well, because somebody, probably the pitching coach down there in Houston, noticed that if he moved his arm angle, the slot, up six inches. So if he released the ball six inches higher than where he was releasing it with the Detroit Tigers, he'd get more break on his pitches. So it's little adjustments like that. So the Yankees need to find somebody to make those little baby tweaks on on their pitchers that, you know, have the repertoire. It's just about fixing. It's not about reinventing and the fixing is analytics driven seems to be I mean move your arm slot six inches north and you'll get a better break on your ball I mean that comes from an analytics department so like I said I I don't have a name for you I do I think I have a philosophy for you and that is analytics driven coaches Carlo in Kings Park you're on a fan good morning Daniel how are you good how are you Carlo good good definitely talk about some Jets and some Yankees if I could. You got it. Um, as far as the Jets go, I hate to say it, being a longtime Jet fan, they're going to go down to Miami and they're going to lose. I have no confidence whatsoever in this team. 
I'm sorry, Danielle, you're going to have to be wearing them. You're going to have to be wearing, there's worse things in life than wearing a Dan Marino shirt. But <laughs> I, 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 I pity you, but I, I, have a, I have a horrible feeling. I really, truly do. I, I have no confidence whatsoever in, in Gaze. He can't motivate a painting team. This is incredible. This team looks so sad. I mean, I keep on hearing, oh, the Jets are going to turn the corner. When? When will the Jets ever turn the corner? I'll tell you, you when, know, when they get a new coach there, Carlo. True, true, Daniel. Because right now it, it looks it looks nasty, and that's an understatement because they look so they look so blah, and that's an under. I mean, looks. I mean, they just. Oh, Except they for look, Jamal Adams, though. Except for him. True, true. I love Jamal. Jamal's a great player, but the rest of the team's an absolute train wreck, and Sam and glimpse. Sam and glimpses. Yeah. Right. The in- inconsistencies of a young quarterback. I get that. Absolutely. I mean, you've seen it with Daniel Jones as well. I mean, true, true. And, and as far as the Yankees go, um, look, everybody talks about they should get Cole, they should get Strasburg. The thing that let the Yankees down was key hitting, well, yes, clutch hitting, and you know, situational hitting. And you know, you can get Strasburg, you can get Cole, but unless they get key hits. They're not going to win, and if you think about it, that was the main factor in this in this last series. Did it pain me to no end to see uh, to see Chapman laugh after he gave up that home run? Oh my God! I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I mean that just made me ill. I mean, I mean maybe it was a sense that oh I I, I have to laugh because if I don't laugh I'm going to cry. But I mean, I just he hung that slider and it was just like it was like hit me and he hit it. Yeah, Carlo, thanks for the call. Uh, so a few things with that. I mean, the Jets, and I got a lot of Jets calls on hold. I know that the, the Jets need direction, and it comes from the top down, and I'll leave it at that. That's what they need. Um, and as far as, I mean, the Chapman laugh, like I said before, I mean, I coach, and my players sometimes laugh when they make a mistake, and that's, like you said, maybe to keep from crying, but it's just it's an involuntary reaction, and, Unfortunately for him, the camera caught it. I do not think he was happy about giving up the, you know, ending the Yankee season with one swing in the bat to Jose Altuve. That that is not what he was laughing about. And I mean, I have a nervous laugh. I'll admit it. I have a nervous laugh. And maybe that was his. Maybe he does too. So I'm not getting him on, getting on him for that. Really. I mean, he clearly wanted to be here. He could have tested the free agent market, driven up his price, and came back. He didn't. He wanted to be here. He wanted to pitch for the Yankees, and the Yankees wanted him back. And we, and believe me, we've talked about runners in scoring position here on this show last week, even. And and I went back to the 2016, 17, and 18 World Series in numbers with runners in scoring position, and that's what wins World Championship: being able to get that clutch hit. And it pained you to see Chapman smile. It pained me to see Gary Sanchez strike out with the bases loaded. And Steinbrenner said that it it was a primarily a lack of timely hitting that was our downfall, resulting in too many guys left on base, my opinion. And we've talked about it. The Yankees did not hit well with runners in scoring position this postseason, but if they had uh, confidence in their pitchers to, to go more than, f- they averaged four and a third innings in the ALCS. I mean, now you're exposing your bullpen, you're overworking your bullpen, and you're tiring them out. And they're, and And how do I say this? Like, Adam Adovino, let's say he comes in three straight games, let's just say, or three out of the four. I mean, I'd rather give my starting pitcher a third look through the roster 
than to expose my my relief pitchers uh, more than necessary. So adding a starting pitcher allows you to play closer to the vest with, with your relief pitching. And I know the strength of the Yankees was ultimately their relief pitching. That's what everybody was sold on, and it just, it just didn't come through because, in my opinion, of the overexposure of it. Eric and Ron Konkuma, you're on a fan. Hey, good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you, Eric? Good, good. Uh, quick question. What, what's yours and JJ's contingency plan when the uh, game ends up in a tie? <laughs> you know, someone asked that on Twitter, Eric, and <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. What do, what do you suggest? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's something less than a Marino jersey, and maybe he does like half the Jets chant. J-E, an hour. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, Eric. Thanks uh, thanks for the call. I, you know, JJ, maybe we can, uh, we can, we can hammer that out before 1 o'clock today. Um, what do you suggest we do? If it ends in a tie, maybe we just do both the things that we, we promised that we would do. Mark in Newark, you're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you, Mark? I'm good. As far as, as, as my call, I'm calling about the Jets. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and whine and cry. And, oh, oh, I'm a disgruntled Jets fan and all of that crap. <laughs> Please. Um, I'm going to it this way. I'm 56 years old. I've been watching the Jets the majority of my life. And you know what? I've seen all of this stuff, too. Ain't no big deal. Ain't no six figures invested in all that garbage. The bottom line for me is real, real simple. You hit on the point that made me call. What's that? This, 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 this coach, this coach, and I'm not just blaming him. I'm blaming the whole organization. But I, I just want to get to the nuts and bolts. This coach can't do the, the, the obvious thing. Point blank, let, let, let's go back a little bit. Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan is, is nobody's offensive uh, whisperer, guru. <laughs> Rex Ryan couldn't probably find an offensive who was sitting in front of him. Oh, he was a defensive but what, guy. But, but what he could do was recognize what he does best and then, then, then get other people and work with what mm. he had. Mm. Rex Ryan was a defensive Super Bowl uh, coach. And, and and so we're coming in with his bravado and, and those things like that. He decided, well, look, you know, we ran the ball and we stopped the other team from running the ball and we won the Super Bowl. I'm going to just do that. And the Jets were, had more success under him than any other coach we ever had other than in the 69 when I was in first grade. <laughs> so now you've got this guy. Uh, he's the quarterback whisperer. What is he whispering? Duck? I don't know. He doesn't use a tight end. And and when you have a young quarterback, and and I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. Well, that's another story for another day. When you have a young quarterback, I don't care who it is, his best friend is a tight end when you're you're that green on your team. You need your tight end, not only to block and help the ghosts from coming after you, but once they do block, they can chip out, run a little two-yard in, and boom, your tight end's got you a two- or three-yard gain as opposed to a sack. Everybody that ever watched football knows that, except for the quarterback whisper. (laughs) Mark, thanks for the call. And, and yes, actually, they started to use their tight end last week. I I think, didn't he, he post two touchdowns last week? Ryan Griffin, four receptions, 66 yards, and two touchdowns. Finally. They started to use the tight end. I'd like them to see the, the Jets uh, really start to work in Le'Veon Bell to the game plan. How's that sound? Because Le'Veon Bell, last week, eight carries for 23 yards, zero touchdowns. 
doesn't cut it for me, and it doesn't also cut it for my my free league fantasy team because that was a, a big disappointment. And you're right. Tight ends are a quarterback's best friends. However, and also, too, Rex Ryan, I liked him as a head coach, but the the bravado, the word you use, it wore thin after a while. And I'm Daniel McCartan back with you guys on the fan. Oh, man, we are fired up about these New York Jets. Lots of phone calls about the Jets, so we'll go back to those in one second. But this is an apt song here, because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And uh, Adam Gase doesn't look like he's going to be making it here. In fact, that if the Yank, if the if the Jets lose to the Dolphins later today, one p.m. game, I'd venture to guess that that Adam Gase might not be taking the team plane back to. I guess they fly into Newark. It would be my guess, or maybe LaGuardia, or even JFK. Either way, he'd be stuck in MIA. You would think. He'd be MIA in MIA. I I posted a Twitter poll yesterday. I, I love doing these. I love to hear from you guys, obviously. My question was, how would you rank the level of confidence you have in your team as they head to Miami? And of the voters, the winning, you know, the, the choice that got the most votes, 40% of the votes have the Jets losing. So on my Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, 40% of you say the New York Jets are going to lose later today. Ian, West Hempstead, you're on a fan. You know where it all starts with the Jets, Danielle? Where is that? It starts with those, with those monsters over at Johnson & Johnson aggressively marketing opioids in the heart of an epidemic. I just lost my cousin this Friday. And every time the Jets lose, I'm a, I'm a 30-year Jet fan. Mm-hmm. But as long as they're owning the team, I'm going to smile. When they lose games. All right. Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate that, Ian. And uh, sorry about that, uh, your cousin there. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I like to I like to stick to sports. And I'll just leave it at that. I'll leave it at your personal experience there. Jarvis in Manhattan, you're on a fan. Uh, how are you doing, Danielle? Okay. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, I want to talk about the Jets. Um Everybody think that Adam Gates, if they lose to the Dolphins, that Adam Gates might get fired by Monday. And then um, that, you know, this is a joke. And Nico last week think they, if they lose to the Dolphins, that he's going to get fired by Monday. Then I don't know who you going to replace of another head coach. So you're going to bring in another coach, and then you're going to start all over again and rebuild this thing all over again. So I don't get it. Yeah, Jarvis, thanks for calling. And that's something I talked about, too, uh, not tonight, but uh, last week, I guess it was, or the week before. The problem is that the Jets couldn't swing and miss on the new head coach. They picked Adam Gase. They they couldn't afford to swing and miss on him, and, and they did. And that's a shame because they passed up on a Super Bowl-winning quarter, uh, coach in Mike McCarthy to put Gase in charge of this mess. And the problem is... You have, let's say, Sam Darnold, senior year at USC. He's in one system. First year in the NFL, he's in Bowles' system. Second year in the NFL, he's in um, in Gase's system. And now and you, you want to put him in a different system midseason? That's what I'm saying. The Jets could not afford. I mean, they they might ruin him with, with, with their ineptitude. They might ruin and derail the career of Sam Darnold. And I'm not trying to be the, like a sky is falling here. I'm trying to tell the truth here. 
Because that's a lot. That is a lot for a rookie quarterback who admits he's seeing ghosts, who who is afraid, I in my opinion, of being blindside hit so bad that, that his pancreas is going to burst on the field uh, and, and that his life is in danger. You see it. He's playing like it. So let's, what do we do? If, if we're the Jets management, what do we do? Do we, do we shut him down? And, and to get a new head coach in there, who would it be? Well, it'd have to be Greg Williams. It seems like Greg Williams is jockeying for the job to begin with, to, in my opinion. He's got the defensive unit playing really actually excellent, surprisingly. So uh, I'm talking in, in terms of like rankings, you know, they're, they're playing well. They really are. The Jets, uh, they allow 5.2 yards per play, 10th best in the league. They allow 3.3 yards per carry, second best in the league. And they allow the 14th best quarterback rating and and 9th best in terms of passing yards per attempt. So the defense is playing well. If it's it's not um, Gase moving forward, it's going to be Williams. And then they'll they'll readjust it uh, after the season, I guess. And I just wanted to point out that at 440, we're going to, we are going to talk with Jim Duquette, former Mets GM, who's now an analyst, baseball analyst on a couple different outlets, including SAY, uh, MLB Network Radio, and The Athletic. So that, that'll be coming up at 440. So I, I want to get the, these calls in here. Steve in Manhattan, you're on the fan. All right. You're going to be talking to Steve from Manhattan right now. And, and Danielle, you're starting to grow on us. What does that mean? That means you're just getting good. Yeah, I, Thank you. I like you giving the give and take is that's the big thing in talk radio is be yourself and the give and take with the calls. People love that stuff. And um, I, I just wanted a soft side. I, I would love for like Halloween to hire Adam Gates to sit, stand in front of my building. You know what I'm saying? But you know the thing, Danielle, for the uh, tiebreak, I have a good idea. I'm a big fan of okay. Guns and Roses. Uh-huh. A big fan of Guns. And I really think they something with Guns N' Roses could be the tiebreaker with that. And let the uh, Twitter accounts figure that one out. But the, as far as the uh, Jets are concerned, this team is a horror show. Long-time Jet fans complain all the time. Uh, you know what I, my remedy for the Jets was? I joked around that the scouting report for the Jets was, listen, you got to wait for Brady to retire and then let the thing just go from there. Mm-hmm. But you know what I really wanted to do? Because a lot of people got on this kid's case. I told him, keep Tebow and build a massive offensive line for this guy and just take it from there. Because this organization cannot draft, cannot do anything right. Uh, yeah, Steve, we'll leave it there. Uh, and and this seems to be uh, of epic proportions here. And for three or four weeks, and I'm hoping to hook one, I've been trying to get a, uh, a Rich Kotite guy on with me. Just to, to talk about some comparisons and, and some contrast between, you know, these Jets, these 2019 Jets, and the Rich Kotite Jets. And and I've reached out through somebody to Marvin Jones, Mo Lewis, Fred Baxter, Adrian Morrell, Chad Cascadden, and uh, no takers yet. And this has been for a couple weeks now. So I'm hoping to get one of these Kotite Jets on so uh, we can we can draw some comparisons and maybe contrast if – in fact, there are they. There, there are they. If in fact there are some, but I mean, I, I was very young when when Rich Kotite was the coach, so I'd be leaning on their knowledge and, and probably your guys' knowledge of those teams. Um, but I wanted to make that comparison weeks ago, and I just haven't. It hasn't materialized with, with having a, a, a guest on because I really wanted to talk to somebody inside the locker room uh, on that team, and that that pays attention to to these current Jets. So I'm working on it for you guys. I really am. Sparky, Dobbs Ferry, you're on the fan. 
First of all, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. And second, my thing about the Yankees, as far as going after Cole, I think the luxury tax, you got to throw out the window. Yes. Literally. Why, I would be saying to Mr. Steinbrenner, please take a look at the video of Game 6 of the League Championship Series. You have your whole season on the line, yet you don't even have a real starting pitcher starting. You had to do that relief pitcher gimmick. Mm-hmm. Two years in a row. And to me, hey... You rely, when you rely on your relief pitches as much as the Yankees, you might need two starting pitches because the starting pitches they have don't go into games long enough, and they have to use the, overuse their relief pitches where you really shouldn't have to have days where you start relievers. Um, exactly, Sparky, and that's what I was saying before. It, it, it gives the other team a look at your bullpen, I guess a premature look at your bullpen, and, and, and they could tag them right from game one tendencies, uh, pitch sequencing. You don't want that. You have a strength of a bullpen. Use it to the strength. I mean, you have you have your starting pitchers average four and a third innings in the ALCS. I'm sorry. That's terrible. And, and he's pulling uh, Boone. He's pulling Tanaka after uh, whatever. I'm losing the details now. Uh, a handful, 80 pitches or so in, in the seventh inning or sixth inning. I mean, let him go. Let him go. Let him pitch again. And then if he gets into trouble, then you yank him. Then you pull the string on him. So I agree with you. I mean, this this, this patchwork of, of the relief pitchers, and that's who's going to start. Chad Green, who's going to start here? No, if you, if you had the pitcher, if you had the Cole, if you had the Strasburg, I mean, break the bank, smash the piggy bank, and let's get it going here. You're the New York Yankees. Joe in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm good. Danielle, first of all, uh, first time, long time, and I think you're wonderful. So good morning to you. It's nice to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Let me just tell you, um, the New York Jets need to trade Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, all these luxuries that they have, and build a real foundational football team. And uh, the fact that we're a blue-collar team, and the people who are calling into sports radio these days, these days don't realize that we're a blue-collar team that builds it from the trenches and everything else. It's peculiar to me to listen to guys talk about these spliff stars, these phonies that think that they're great athletes. No one cares. We're a blue-collar team, and the guy who called up just now talking about Tim Tebow and Guns N' Roses... I, it might be the worst call I've ever heard in the history of sports radio. Thanks so much. Oh, come on. Joe, be, be nice, Joe. Because um, I might have to get on you. Trade Adams, trade Bell. The deadline passed. It's it's done deal. And I think that the Jets, I mean, they have a bad product. So to have these guys, Adams and Bell, those sell tickets. Those those names and those guys sell tickets. They put the fannies in the seats, as, as they would say. And um, blow it up. Build it from the beginning, you know, from from the ground up. But what kind of trust do you have in the GM to make the right decisions? Hmm. Because McCagnan didn't. John Hitzik before him, right? He 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 got under fire for that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know. 
I'd like to get in some Giants talk a little bit if, if we can real quick. Um, and again, at 440, we have, or I have Jim, Jim Duquette coming up, talk about the Mets and managerial strategies and, and all that. But, you know, and we'll reset it at, at 5 a.m. But I just want to get in a little bit of Giants talk in and some keys to watch for for the, for the Dallas Cowboys game. And I think that um, we talked about the Leonard Williams trade before, but I think there, there's a couple things to watch for if you're a Giant fan on, on, on Monday Night Football. One, a quarterback battle. I mean, you got Daniel Jones coming off his best game of his career versus Dak Prescott, who's got the Cowboys clicking on literally every single cylinder in the offensive game. And I just, there's one player, I can't wait for Corey Ballantyne to get some reps on Monday night. He, he cleared pro- concussion protocol. He should be suited up to play. And he, he's a rookie. And I'm telling you, this guy's got game. You'll see. He's a cornerback. We're also going to look for the Giants to finally have some full speed, full strength offense. It's the first time all season that Shepard, Tate, Barkley, and, oh yeah, Jones are going to be on the field together. And turnovers for the Giants. The only team worse than the Giants in turnover differential are the Atlanta Falcons and the Miami Dolphins. And I'm going to have a stat for you that nobody seems to keep. Points off turnovers. Versus the Lions, seven points. They lost by five. Versus the Cardinals, 14 points. They lost by six. So clean up the turnovers, Giants. And a player to watch, Saquon Barkley. We'll get into that. And my pick after the interview with Jim Tuquette coming up at 440 right after the commercial. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. It's the It certainly is the end of the 2019 MLB season, and on the line I have Jim Duquette, former GM of the Mets, who after 20 years in MLB front offices, is now a baseball analyst on MLB Network Radio, SNY, and for The Athletic. And Jim, thanks for joining McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So let's talk a little World Series. It was a series in which every single home team fan went home disappointed. Having been there, could you summarize the 2019 World Series? Well, I think that right there, that that's that itself is is surprising enough. You know, I, the home team and home field advantage didn't didn't play into this at all, which I was really surprised about. Um, we we haven't seen that in any sport, not not just baseball. We haven't seen it in in uh, basketball or hockey in any of the sports that have uh, seven game series. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the road team win in, in a six or seven game series at all. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, the road teams win that many games in a row. So that part of it stood out to me, I think, to summarize the starting rotation. Both teams were built around starting rotation, so that, I think, stands out to me because you saw a lot of bullpenning going on around the game. Uh, the team that had the, you know, a good, really good fourth starter right, with the Nationals, to me, uh, and using their starting uh, pitchers in the bullpen more, uh, which we've seen over the last two years. So again, this year I think seventy-five percent or so of the innings that the somewhere in that range that the Nationals uh, had for this uh, postseason, or at least in the in World Series, were were eaten up by their starters, even out of the pen, um, using them in, in bullpen, you know, high leverage situations. Uh, so those are some of the things that I stand that stand out to me. I think that's where we start to see teams build a little differently and and copy uh, you know, some of these teams. I think you'll see. 
you know, more emphasis on the rotation than what we've seen here over the past, let's say, year or two. We're talking with Jim Duquette here on the fan. So that's kind of what I was kind of getting at, too, because I wanted to ask you about over what you've seen. You've had an extensive career in, in baseball in many different, you know, uh, avenues. But mm-hmm. is there a World Series formula in, teams of, in terms of, like, team construction? Like, talk, talk maybe about pitching, maybe about hitting, what works yeah. and what doesn't, and is it is it uniform throughout the league? So it, it's it's not completely uniform, but I'll, I'll say this. There are certain themes that you see. Like, a lot of times, the pitching that gets you to the postseason, you know, good five-man rotation, you know, depth in your bullpen, a solid four or five guys, that usually does not need to apply in the postseason. Usually it's three really good starters, three really good relievers. You have a lot of off days in there, uh, so that, that plays into it. Um, I think, you know, on the pitching side, usually it's uh, still pitching rules the day in the postseason. If you have good pitching, you have a really good chance of going deep into it. That, that to me, is definitely a common theme. And then, you know, after that, it's it's – different like you can have, you really got to have plus defense it may not work plus defense with you know let's say you're you know you have to decide sometimes between going with the offensive player or the defensive player um you know over the course of a full season having a weak offense usually doesn't bode well for you to getting into the postseason but in the postseason games are tight they're one-run games a lot of times um you know the, you, generally the defense uh, plays along with the pitching in a seven-game series. So, you know, it's it's interesting for me in the in baseball. You can build your team, you know, two different ways, or certainly build your team up until the trade deadline, and then you realize, okay, here's where I'm the weakest. Try to adjust, uh, but you better have really good pitching. That to me is clearly. Um, you know, the, the theme over the last few years. Now I'm going to take this from the Met fan perspective because, you know, you've been there and, you know, you know how the Mets and the Wilpons operate, drawing on your experience. Why did they pass on Girardi, in your opinion? Was it about cost or control, both or neither? So I, I think that, you know, if you look at where Joe was in his career with the Yankees in particular and some of the things that came out of, what had happened there in New York? They're, they have a they had a young team. Yanks had a young team. Yes, they had some veterans, but they had a young team, young core, uh, and yeah, you know, there was a relationship and communication issues were were an issue towards the end, right? Thing there wasn't a lot of you know fun that was being had. There was not a. It was more old school. Um, there were things like that that came out uh, at the end of Joe Girardi's Yankees tenure that. I think if you're looking at it from the Mets' perspective, first off, it's a, you're uh, you're picking up the the guy who the who the Yankees didn't feel were was good enough to take them to the next to, to the next phase of their organization. That that doesn't you know, as opposing GM, you're like eh, that doesn't fit. Also, the young core group like we see with the Mets, like that doesn't fit. Like there's some characteristics that I think that that Joe showed with the Yankees that don't fit. I think with the Mets, I always feel this. Regardless of the money, the, the managerial hire is a custom fit. You, it has to be. It has to be the right fit in a lot of your areas that you're that you've prioritized. And I think for the reasons of why Joe was let go in the, with the Yankees, it also doesn't fit with the Mets. I think that's why they didn't go down that road. 
more than anything else. I just see. I'm. I'm. I'll tell you right now. I'm. I'm a Joe Girardi supporter, and you know that right. team that he had. I mean, it was it was an overperforming team. He brought them within one game of the World Series, and then he got got the axe. Right. Well, I was surprised when he when he's let go. But when you look at, and I was also surprised by the way Joe Madden was let go with, with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this there's a similar philosophy. Like there's a period of time. There's a shelf life for every manager. I think there's a shelf life for every general manager. Just like there's a shelf life for every player, and you know, with with we agree or disagree on the Yankees' decision, it was Brian Cashman still in that Joe Girardi shelf life. That was it. Was it like he wasn't going to be the guy that he wanted for the next five years? And that's what it honestly was going to take. I think it would have taken at least three to keep Joe in a Yankees manager. I mean, he deserved it. He, he had that type of success. And I think he, and rather than signing him up for three more years, Joe, Brian decided to go in a different direction. Same thing with the Cubs, by the way. Um, that's the route that they went with Joe Mann after five, five unbelievably successful years. So it does, it, you know, it's not just, you know, New York-centric. It's, it's, we've seen this in baseball in some circumstances. So um, I think that Joe was a really good hire in Philly. I think, you know, I remember back when I was with the Orioles, my last year was 07, Andy McPhail took over for me there uh, with the Orioles. And he tried to hire Joe Girardi as the manager of the Orioles. It didn't work out. They weren't going to pay him. Well, Andy's the president of the Phillies right now. I was not surprised whatsoever that Joe was going to end up in Philly. In fact, I thought all along he was the first choice there. And I think it's the right fit when you look at their team. It's a little bit more veteran based. We're talking with Jim Duquette here on The Fan. I want to ask you about another candidate that if it wasn't going to be Joe Girardi, um, Mets fans were kind of looking for the established candidate. And you worked right. extensively with uh, for years with, with Buck Showalter. Why yeah. weren't the Mets interested in him? For the same reasons, you think? Well, I think I think Buck has his own, um, you know, there's, there's always, a, you know, the good, the good, when you've been around as long as Buck, there's always good and bad with each, right? You know, he had his run with the Yankees and the Diamondbacks and the Rangers and the Orioles. The good early on always happened. There's always, you know, some conflict with the front office or ownership or both towards the end of his tenure. And I think, you know, when you're in that type of situation, uh, you know, if you want to win now, you have a veteran group and, and uh, you know, you want to, uh, to just give complete control to the manager. Buck has a, you know, Buck is a good fit in some places. I don't think he's a, a good fit with the Mets personally. I think I am a little surprised that they that the Mets didn't get somebody with some experience. Mm-hmm. They're they're still looking for so the, the, the hiring of Mickey Callaway, um, you know, went wrong in a couple a couple of circumstances. But their idea of, of trying to find that young next up and coming manager was the right. I think the way to go. You know that. The new A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, Dave Roberts, Dave Martinez, those those new you know, those new guys who don't have a lot of experience. That's the wave of the future mm-hmm. of this new Mets organization. I think Dalton brings a lot of those type of qualities you know, to the table right now. And I'm not surprised at the end of the day. They have a couple of things that stand out to me. First off, uh, he is a great family man. He's one of the nicest guys that, that you'd want to be around. Um he turned our organization around in terms of helping rebuild it. Uh, when he first joined us, and then even when I left for the Orioles, and he stayed, obviously, for the remaining six years, 
Uh, he wasn't always out there and talking to the media. There was a little bit of a reserved quality of him. You know, he'd be in the trenches running by his locker until late. Uh, I don't think he cared too much for dealing with the media at the time. Um, but but since then, he's he's kind of grown, matured, and he he became an outspoken kind of veteran go-to guy in the clubhouse when he was with the Yankees, the Cardinals, even Houston um, his last season. He was that veteran that, that you could go to for a good quote. You could go to, obviously, as a young player, uh, and he, he's willing to share his experiences. And I think so. So, you know, we, I've seen him grow as a player and as a person, but the qualities of the, the type of guy that he is, consistent, good person, like that's that's not going to change. And I think, you know, you're looking for a lot of good qualities in a manager, and he brings a lot to the table. They have Terry Collins as a name rumored to be the bench coach. Do you have any inside info, or, or would that work, or what would your recommendation be? Well, I, it's interesting with Terry. I think the, the report was that he was, if, if, Beltron got the Yankees job that Terry was on his list as a bench coach. Right. I believe is what I remember. Yep. So if that you know if that's true, which I, I believe it, it was true, that um, that Terry, I mean, shoot, Terry's right there in the organization. That would be a logical uh, person to to talk to as a bench coach. You, I think this first off, he needs an experienced guy like Terry, not only to understand the best, but understands National League baseball and can you know managerial. Uh, experience the X's and O's, like I like to call it, using the bullpen. Those are all things I think Terry would be good at. I don't think Terry has desire to manage anymore, mm-hmm. which would also be a good fit. You know, those managers sometimes, the bench coaches sometimes are managers in waiting, um, and it gets a little cloudy sometimes when they're when they're when they have you know the the desire to be in that in that manager seat. Terry has been there and done that. And I don't think has that. So I think. And he has a relationship with Carlos, so I think there's some you know, some really good qualities there that would be a good fit. I don't know who else Carlos is is considering in that, um, but it has to be a really good, important relationship. That bench coach who understands not the National League. It, it went awry with Mickey when he came in with no manager experience, only American League experience, and they had a bench coach uh, with Gary D. Sarcina his first year that only knew the American League. That I thought was a you know set up to fail. We're talking with Jim Duquette here on The Fan. And, you know, I think, Jim, and my final closeout question would be, in my opinion, I think the Mets are a lot closer than their fans think they are, you know, and giving them a real run. And so for me, the number one priority for the Mets this offseason would be to lock up a shutdown reliever. I mean, they lost a lot of games based on their bullpen. You're still the GM of the Mets, imagine. What's your top priority for the Mets this this winter? Oh, it's 100% improve the bullpen and then go find another starting pitcher. Uh, to replace Wheeler, those would be the priorities. You know, and everyone talks about, oh, go get a center fielder. Just, I would, I would go with the current group and that, and figure out, you know, a Nimmo Conforto, you know, group of uh, in center field. I'd rather do that and pour, if you know, pour money into the bullpen and mm-hmm. pitching than anything else. Um, I don't even know what to, what to expect out of Cespedes. I have to assume that, that you know he's not going to play a full season. Um, and, and if he does, great. But, but I think that, to me, it absolutely has to improve the bullpen. I think if you improve the bullpen and you make some better decisions on the pitching front, which I still think was an issue with Mickey mm-hmm. this year, um, I think you'll improve your, your, uh, your stead in the, in, the, in the standings, and I think you'll give a, 
you know, a run which a run in the in the wild card, which we saw late. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, you know, we saw a, a number of missteps. Still, I think that's what ended up in the end costing Mickey his job. And some, uh, just a follow up to that, some yeah. Mets fans might think that you're crazy for saying. Well, what do you mean we don't need a center fielder? What do we? What do you mean you don't? We we need a, a big bat in the lineup. Like Anthony Rendon has already been thrown around here in New York. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the Mets offense, it was you know average to above average, um, you know overall, and you know you you're going to add a, a, a piece, some kind of piece, but I mean let's be realistic about you know Rendon as an example. This they haven't spent that kind of money. They spend money like that on David Wright. Um, they spent that kind of money on Cespedes, mm-hmm. but those were players that they had and they knew. So the likelihood of them signing him, you know, Rendon is not not real high. Um, they just haven't done that. They've spread their money out and around in, in the several areas. So uh, if there's a center fielder out there that they could t- uh, try to trade for, like a a, a Jackie Bradley uh, up in Boston, mm-hmm. um, then maybe they do that. But but I think priority one when you look at their team last year it wasn't because they were lacking in a center fielder or a big bat. It was it was their you know. Shaky, I'll call it shaky. Nice, <laughs> shaky bullpen. <laughs> and, and so they have to address that in the morning. But never, you know, get get Diaz and or Familia back on track, but also add to those add to those arms. Well, Jim, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the fan. All right, you got it. Thanks for having me. Sports Radio one oh one nine FM and Sports Radio sixty six WFAN. And I'm back with you. I'm Daniel McCarran on WFAN on this football Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. Hope you guys got your extra hour of sleep tonight. Daylight savings or has ended. I think that's how that works. Um, and it is cold outside. It is currently 35 degrees here in lower Manhattan. And that is cold because we're not used to that here at these parts at this time of year. Um, but it is football weather. And it's, uh, it's marathon weather as well. So if you're waking up to go to the New York Marathon right about now, listening to the WFAN, if you're running, Godspeed to you. I cannot run more than a mile and a half. I, one time I did three miles, and that, and that was really it. So if you're waking up, you're shaking off the sleep out of your muscles, and you're about to run a 26, what is it, 26 point whatever mile uh, jog this morning or run this morning, good for you. Good for you. Uh, we're about to reset this morning and talk some giant, Giants, Jets, Mets, Yankees. Everything is back on the table. And obviously, your phone calls make this work. It's 877-337-6666. And um, since we didn't do so much with the Giants tonight, I wanted to start with the Giants right here at 5 o'clock. So, obviously, the Giants, uh, their paths crossed with the Jets earlier this week in the trade deadline when, when Leonard Williams... Um, Traded locker rooms, not stadiums, not cities, just locker rooms. And when I had, uh, you know, you guys know by now that in the opening monologue, I, I, I select a song for each and every team. My song for the Giants was Wow by Post Malone. And if you know the song, it's there's a, a line in it where he goes, where Post Malone says, Last call, Hail Mary Prescott, touchdown, hey. That's exactly how the Giants don't want this game to end um, on Sunday with the uh, I mean, on Monday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys with everybody watching. Um, so there's two things to talk about. So the trade with uh, Leonard Williams, I think, was a good move for actually for both parties. And I know that's kind of weird that that 
they don't really do that. And when they do do that, it works out for both. So here's here's the way it works out for the Giants because many Giants fans, and I'll be honest, I was checking Giants Twitter to see to gauge the the uh, I don't know just the level of of interest in this trade move for them. Many Giants fans were questioning why Dave Gettleman would move a third round 2020 and a fifth round 2021 pick, which could become a fourth rounder if Williams signs the extension with the Giants. But I think what people are either forgetting or ignoring or, or not knowing at all is the fact that the Jets are actually picking up $4 million of the $6 million that Williams is owed this season. So basically what it boils down to is a $2 million rental for Dave Gettleman and company this season, for the remainder of this season. And I, while I like the tactic, I'm not sure it'll work. And the tactic is Gettleman wants to put all of his stock into Williams falling in love with this young defense and not wanting to test the free agent market at the end of the season. And Leonard, I'm not sure if he would be the second or third oldest on the on, on the defense, the Giants defense, as it is. He's 25 years old. And if anything... Leonard Williams is reliable. He plays in like 80% of snaps per season. That's his career average. And maybe this is just a $2 million experiment just to see how rookie Dexter Lawrence flourishes with a guy next to him that will draw the double team. And if Williams does not re-sign with the Giants, well then, Gettleman would know if an edge rusher, a defensive edge, should be a number one priority in the draft. If Williams' play does Spring, and I, I, I use that word before, and I like that word, spring, Lawrence. And conversely, the Jets in this trade deal are trying to restock their mess with with a GM that will be drafting his first class ever with the Jets this season. A third and a, and a fourth slash fifth round, they're pretty good spots to take offensive linemen, although I would still suggest the Jets go by way of the Tennessee model where the Titans took in the first round Taylor Lewan in 2014 and Jack Conklin in 2016. So what they did then was they got a guy named Ben Jones, a center, with a fourth-round pick. Uh, well, the, the Texans did, and then the Titans made a move for him. And guess what? The fourth-round pick, Ben Jones, is one of the best centers in football this season when placed with Lawan and Conklin. So I'm following the Tennessee model for the Jets, and I hope that they do do that. Pat Shermer, let's see if he's got his team prepared for Monday Night Football. All eyes are going to be on them. I would like to talk about some things to look out for. So first would be um, that quarterback battle. I mentioned it briefly before, but last week Daniel Daniel Jones might have restored some hope into Giants Nation because prior to last week's game, he had four straight games with a passer rating under 80 and then a touchdown-to-interception ratio of four touchdowns to seven interceptions, and that's not good. But versus the Detroit Lions... Daniel Jones had the best game of his his young, short career so far. He had a 68% completion percentage, 322 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a 124.2 rating. And Demarcus Lawrence, he trolls Eli Manning and has trolled him for his entire career. And what he said about Daniel Jones this week was he said, they got another one, another little Manning. It'll be good for them. He's got a strong arm. He's athletic. He can be good in this league but he's also got to play us twice a year. So that's as complimentary as you could possibly be about the opposing quarterback, which you're trying to drop on the ground every single play. (laughs) They got another, I I love the line, another little Manning. Uh, I can't. Anyway, so Dak Prescott, 
uh, obviously the quarterback of the Cowboys. He's led them to a top-flight passing game, and I mean that, top-flight, even offense. They're ranked third in yards per game, fourth in completion percentage, and second in yards per attempt and through the air. And that sounds like a tall task for the Giants secondary because on the season, the Giants passing defense, uh, well, they're 25th in yards given up per game, 29th in completion percentage, and 31st in yards per attempt. And that's aren't really that's not really that good. And Pat Shermer on Dak Prescott said he's an outstanding player. He has outstanding players around him. He has people that will block for him. Oh, by the way, when it breaks down, he can also run. And I, I said it before. I think Corey Ballantyne is going to be a stud. He's a rookie, just coming off concussion protocol. Um, I I would love to see him get some some time, some reps on Monday night. And the, the guy's got game, and you'll see from what I've seen which hasn't been like a lot, but uh, give him a shot. I think the Giants have, are they the team that has the most rookies playing, you know, at one time this season? I think that might be true. I think I heard that today. But anyway, so the Giants offense, they're going to be operating at full strength for the first time um, in, what is it, week nine. So you're going to have Sterling Shepard on the field, Golden Tate on the field, uh, Saquon Barkley on the field, and oh, yeah, a different quarterback this time around versus the Cowboys, Daniel Jones. Although Jones did get to see some action, he he didn't get the start. So we have a different starting quarterback tonight, or Monday night, sorry. And so there isn't really any tape for the Cowboys to study when all of these guys are on the field at the same time, all four of them, Shepard, Tate, Barkley, and and Jones. So that might be an advantage uh, Giants for that, for that um, because no one really knows how they're going to work together and gel together. And maybe the Giants don't even know until until it happens, you know. And uh, Daniel Jones said about that, that, you know, they're all really good players. When you put them together, there's a lot of different things that we can do, a lot of different ways to attack. I think the guys who stepped in have played well throughout the season. But, yeah, getting Shep back this week will help. Obviously, Sterling Shepard. And this is now going to be the first litmus, te- litmus test for Pat Shermer in his scheming, in his play-calling abilities, because for the first time all season, he is playing with a full deck of offensive pieces. And although he isn't a player to watch, as I always like to do, Pat Shermer and his decision-making, obviously, will be absolutely on my radar um, watching this Monday night game. And the third thing that the, you have to watch for if you're a Giant fan or a Cowboy fan or just a football fan in general is the fact that turnovers. You know, the Giants... The only team worse than the Giants in turnover differential are the Atlanta Falcons and the Miami Dolphins. That's facts. And that really isn't the company you want to be in with those two teams if you are the Giants, especially the latter, Miami Dolphins. But when the Giants turn the ball over, they they really make it count for the other team because I, tr- I tried looking this up today and no one really keeps this, and I'm going to start keeping this on my own. It's so important, especially to the context of the game, Points off turnovers, POTs. Because if you look at the Giants just over the last two weeks, which I've been keeping track the past two weeks only, versus the Lions, the Lions scored seven points on the Kennard fumble recovery touchdown on Jones. Whether or not that was a fumble is still debatable, but but that's how they ruled it, and that's what it is. It was seven points on the fumble recovery touchdown. Daniel Jones obviously being the one that fumbled it. The Giants ended up losing that game by five, by five points. Then 
before that was the Cardinal game. Seven points on a Jones interception. Uh, not directly, but that drive, the ensuing drive resulted in seven points on a, after a Jones interception. And then seven points over after a Jones strip sack fumble. And seven plus seven is 14. And the Giants lost that game by six. So what I'm saying is the Giants need to clean over the clean up the turnovers for sure. Um, but if they can't do that, they just have to make ones that don't end up as points for the other team because that, in my opinion, directly contributed to two losses on the season. So instead of, what are they, two and six, you'd be looking at four and four at this point versus the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. The little things, you know. So my player to watch for the Giants is... I'm going to go with the obvious this week. I'm not trying to pick any sort of sleepers. It's going to be Saquon Barkley because Barkley's coming off a a Detroit performance where he had eight receptions for 79 yards and a touchdown. Receptions. Why is that important? Because the Cowboys are tied for 11th most receiving yards allowed to running backs in the NFL. Versus the Packers, Aaron Jones, we're talking uh, Cowboys-Packers, Aaron Jones as a receiver, seven receptions, 75 yards, and he's also on my fantasy, my free team, my only team, he had four touchdown, rushing touchdowns and 107 yards in addition to that. First, the Redskins, their running backs as receivers, I added it all up. They had 10 receptions for 67 yards. The Saints receivers had four reception, running backs as receivers, had four receptions for 27 yards. And uh, they've been better over the last two, staving off the non-existent Jets and the Eagles, whose running back had seven receptions for 25 yards combined. The Jets and the Eagles, seven receptions for 25 yards combined for their running backs. So over the past two weeks, it's been better. The Giants are entering Monday Night Football, seven-point underdogs. My prediction is is a numbers prediction. I predict the Cowboys 27, the Giants 20, and that's uh, just off strictly numbers and and how many points each team has put up this season, the average of all of them. That's how I came up with that. Uh, Giants are playing Monday Night Football, 8-15 on ESPN. And we'll take some more calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan, now in the morning. And I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you guys. We are careening towards the 6 a.m. deadline. Have about 40, 38 minutes left of my McCartan After Midnight show, which I think has transitioned to, someone said on Twitter or Facebook, Danielle After Dawn. I like the alliteration there. I do like that, too. So we have lots of names for this show. But the truth remains that... um, it is a factual show. This is, you know, no sugarcoating here. These are facts. These are real takes. And if people are still talking on Twitter about that Yank, that uh, that Jet fan that that just can't handle the, the the reality. And Jim, I think his name was, he just couldn't handle the reality of his team. And he, he took it out on me. I'm not sure what I did. I don't know. But anyway, let's, let's transition a little bit to the Yankees. Now, the Yankees... Um, Hal Steinbrenner said he's obviously disappointed that they did not accomplish the goal of winning the world championship this year. They set out to do it every October, and they failed. Then he points to the reason why the Yankees failed in not achieving that, the fact that, um, this is his words, in the end it was primarily a lack of timely hitting that was our downfall, resulting in too many guys left on base, my opinion. Well, Yes, of course. There were too many guys left on base. We talked about it here. The Yankees did not hit well with runners in scoring position this postseason. And looking back at the 2016, 17, and 18 World Series numbers, I mean, the batting averages over uh, with those teams with runners left in scoring position, uh, 353 for the 2018 Red Sox, 
batting average with runners in scoring position for the Houston Astros in 2017 was 265. And the Chicago Cubs even squeaked by with, with a 205. And the Yankees was under that. And he, Steinbrenner, said that they that starting pitchers did, quote, a good job in the postseason. I don't know how much I agree with that statement because the starters had a 3.29 ERA in the playoffs, ranking fifth among all 10 postseason clubs. Fifth. Fifth isn't first. And therefore, fifth is not good enough. And the starter starting pitching for the Yankees averaged just four and a third innings through nine postseason games. And that doesn't equal good job to me. But, you know, I'm not the owner of the Yankees. I just disagree with that whole thing. The, the Yankees are in win-now mode. And if they go over the luxury tax threshold, they go over the luxury tax threshold. I mean, come on. Steal a couple World Series while they're at it, one or two. Steal one. You're the Yankees. Let me remind you of that. And Steinbrenner said that, you know, they've never been shy about participating in the free agent market, whatever areas they need feel need improvement. While I won't comment about prospective pre agents, I will say that any deal that Brian Cashman and his people put in front of me, I will consider seriously. I always do. Blah, blah, blah. So go out and get Garrett Cole. Done deal. Case closed. Because last time you, you, you ponied up some money for big ticket pitchers, it was CC Sabathia for seven years, 161 million. Tanaka, with the 20 million they paid for this Japanese team, turns out to be seven years, 175 million. A little bit of inflation. Garrett Cole's market value projection is supposed to be six years. This is according to Sport Track. I love that site. Six years, $198 million. And as far as that West Coast rumor, he didn't he only wants to pitch on the West Coast, West Coast. Cole says, I've never said that. Actually, a little digging. JJ Reddick was the one who said it. So there is no formula to win the World Series, or everybody else would be following it. But there also is no substitute for clutch hitting. But I also couldn't help but notice the two teams that made it to, to the, the, the World Series, the big show this fall, they were built the same way. The Astros had Cole, Verlander, and Granke. Nationals had Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Come on, Yankees fans. It's, it's not that long ago. You could think back to 2009 with Sabathia, Burnett, and Pettit. And Tanaka, Severino, Paxton, to me, misses the mark. Yankees also know that Aroldis Chapman will be back in the Bronx, at least through, what, 2022? And um, Zach Britton said earlier when everybody thought that Chapman wasn't going to be coming back, he said, obviously Chapman is one of the top closers in the game. I think we have enough talent in the bullpen if he decides to go somewhere else, though, which he hasn't. And now the question is, what are the Yankees going to do with Dellen Batances? Are they going to let him walk in free agency? Or are they going to pony up some money for him? And sort of what bothers me, especially if they go out and get Dellen Patances or lock him up again, is that the paradigm shift really didn't even matter. The Yankees go up and lock up. I mean, they're because they're still putting money and pouring money into a bullpen and the back end, that makes me worry whether or not they're going to pony up the money for a number one starting pitcher. Um, also, the Yankees let Incarnacion go, which is fine. I don't think he was here on a long-term plan anyway. I looked, because he was he was awful in the postseason. I looked back. He hit 
what was it, 0-5-6 with 11 Ks in the ALCS. I think I could hit better. Like, like I'm, I think I can hit better. And then, of course, you have Garrett Cole after losing the World Series wearing his Boris Corporation hat. He said it was a good luck charm. Well, Garrett Cole, you lost. And I, I think Garrett Cole wants to be a Yankee. You saw that picture. I think I tweeted it out earlier in the week. You saw that picture of him holding his, his Yankee sign at Yankee Stadium with his Yankee hat on. Speaking into existence, right? Ron in Connecticut, you're on a fan. Hey, Danielle, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Terry? Okay. So uh, I was thinking with Chapman here, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a good deal. I, I just don't see how he's going to age very well towards the end of this contract. Well, I mean, he was he was pretty dominant uh, all throughout his his career. Um, yeah, but if you if you watch the last couple of years, you see his velocities come down, and the trick to him is his slider plays off of his fastball, mm-hmm. and as the fastball velocity and the slider velocity start getting closer together, I can't see the hatters being fooled too much off of that. Uh, Chapman's fastball this season has averaged uh, ninety six point five miles an hour, down from the eighty nine point. Nine, 98.9 miles an hour. So it's about, yeah, two miles an hour slower. And it was way in, in uh, 2017, he threw it 100 miles an hour. So it's lost four miles an hour over two seasons. Um, that's a good point. I'm not sure if the Yankees f- had factored that into to the new deal. I would hope so because they just essentially gave him a raise as his speeds are going down well, and as he ages. Yeah, a raise and an extension too. They had a well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. he was getting 15 per, now he's going to get 18. Right. For the, for the last year. So they essentially gave him another year at more money. Right. I just think that that money could have been spent better on something else. Like a starting pitcher? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ron, thanks for the call. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's a good way to look at it. I, I didn't think about that. And and he's right. That, that's, that was an intelligent call, Ron. I appreciate that. I, I love intelligent calls. Not like that guy from earlier this morning about the uh, about the Jets. And I, listen, I'll, I never put down really anybody. Um, but that guy kind of deserved it. Come on. Come on, he deserved it. Um, and as far as, you know, the Mets, the the other side of town, that we're going to look at what they can do, how they can improve for next year. Because, one, they have their manager in place. Their manager is Carlos Beltran. And those of you guys that um, wanted Joe Girardi, me, me included, for the Mets, it's uh, it's over. And you guys have to really start to get behind Carlos Beltran. He was named as the 22nd manager in the history of the New York Mets um, a couple days ago. And, you know, we talked, or I talked to Jim Duquette, former Mets GM before. I, I asked him point blank, like, was it the money or or the demeanor? Or like, what was it about Joe Girardi that turned the Mets off? And what was it about Buck Showalter that they didn't even want to interview him? And it just seems that Carlos Beltran might be the best or might have been or is in their eyes the best man for the job. And next week, um, I would hope to get somebody on with us. I'm not going to promise anything. I'm not even going to put it out there yet. But I would like someone uh, in the Mets front office to call, to talk with me next week about that. Um, but even if even if that doesn't occur or materialize in any event, I will get a chance to speak with Joe Girardi himself and maybe you too, it's not a commercial or anything, but he, I'm going to ask him point blank 
at our annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner in Brooklyn. It's about a month away. I'm going to ask him basically what happened with the Mets. Why didn't they um, Why didn't they pick him, basically, point blank. And I heard that inclusive inside this interview process, it was very comprehensive, number one, three rounds, I think it was. They actually put the candidates through a mock press conference. And I'm wondering, in my mind, I have this candidate on that stage in that room that I've also been in. And and I wonder who was playing the roles of which reporters and stuff. Like, I, if that's true, and I'll ask Joe Girardi that, if that's really true, that's extremely out of the box. I, and I don't know how much that's done, um, just in general, in any team, in any sport. But role-playing a press conference, I think, I, you know, I'm not privy to that information. So that's, like, new and novel to me, and I, and I, I love the idea, actually. And especially here in New York. And I bet you that's something that Brody Van Wagenen wish he did the first time around with Mickey Calloway. And so you got to think that 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 was the the part that Carlos Beltran absolutely nailed as being a member of both the Mets and the Yankees in this town. And my first choice, as you guys know, is Tim Bogart. It's not him. It's Beltran. So what I liked about Beltran was, I mean, he, first of all, played in New York for both teams. We mentioned that. Dealt with the media from the Bronx to Queens and everywhere in between, including lower Manhattan here at the fan. And he'd be leaving a Yankees front office job for this job with the Mets. And Brian Cashman's been around here long enough, and and we've been around him long enough to know that he doesn't just let anybody, you know, in. If he's in the inner circle, Carlos Beltran, that means he he means business and he knows what he's doing. And I, I likened it this morning to the Meet the Fockers movie. I'm sure you've seen it where he has the circle of trust and he draws it for Ben Stiller's character. Oh, what a classic movie that is. Um, and I, I don't know. I, what else I liked about him was that he's, he was heavily involved in mentoring players and every a lot of players, including Carlos Correa, have kind of stepped up and talked about him in that capacity as being nothing but excellent. He was as close to a player manager as you can get. And... The con, obviously, is the fact that he's never coached or managed, like, at at any level. And he was only open to the Mets job. He declined interviews with the Cubs and Padres, and he interviewed with the Yankees when Boone was hired. Must mean he really wants the job and is able to do the job. Roger in the Bronx, you're on the fan. Uh, Morning, Danielle. How are you? Good, good. I I wanted to make a point about Beltran, yeah, that uh, I haven't heard uh, said before. Uh, he's uh, you got to be aware of the quiet man because uh, he, he's very uh, he's got a lot of experience in winter ball because he, he played a lot of winter ball mm-hmm. uh, in his time in his time, and uh, he's uh, he's a very observant guy, I bet, and he doesn't miss anything. Yeah, uh, and that's all. And I, I don't think being a quiet man, I think he picks his he's got to pick his spots when he talks. I don't think his message is going to get old. Uh, Roger, that's an interesting point. You know, talking about demeanor of leaders of teams, you see, you've seen it with the Jets most recently. You had Rex Ryan, loud, boisterous, replaced with Todd Bowles. Then you had Todd Bowles replaced with Adam Gase. It's like it seems like it's like cyclical. 
So maybe, you know, Mickey Calloway was quiet and Carlos Beltran's quiet, introverted, and, and who knows? He, he probably is very observant. I don't know. And and Brody Van Wagen and his biggest needs for the Mets, I said it before, a really big splash in relief pitching. I suggested Will Smith, not the men in black guy, not the actor, the guy that came from, or is a free agent now, but most recently played in San Francisco. He's got 34 saves last season. The Mets as a team had 38. Obviously, he's going to be a little expensive. Market value projected to be three years, $24 million. But maybe a cheaper option would be Sergio Romo. I think that would be good. And the Mets need another bat. We can talk more after the break. Who's it going to be? Um, I have two expensive options for you and one one discount. Not really, but bargain option for you after the break. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan. And this is another good one. Nick, you're doing good on the music choices tonight. I like it. He gave me, he gave me a thumbs up through the glass here. Hey, uh, so we are, this is Danielle McCartan and McCartan After Midnight. We are wrapping up, closing in on 6 a.m., the final 15 minutes or so of the show. Um, one thing I also wanted to touch on, and I didn't really get to fully explain it before or even earlier tonight, was, you know, obviously the biggest need for the Mets is going to be the, um, the the relief pitching. That has to be bolstered automatically. Um but I also think the Mets can can fare well with another bat in the lineup. And you think Mets management would ever splurge for a third baseman, Anthony Rendon, who celebrated a World Series championship uh, in that parade today? Or I guess yesterday at this point? I I would say he's probably untouchable because he's got a market value of six years, $195 million. Mike Moustakas, then the next level price level down would be Mike Moustakas declined the Brewers' option. He became a free agent on Friday. He's got a market value projection of two years, $41 million. And if that doesn't fit the bill, well, how about, no pun intended, how about maybe, uh, let's call him, I don't want to call him a poor man's center fielder, but how's Starling Marte? His Pirates, without a GM, just picked up his $11.5 million option, but that doesn't mean he can't still be had by trade which actually may work in the Mets' favor. So Pittsburgh needs a starting pitcher. How about you do a flip-flop and you deal Mats there? Mats for Marte. If they don't like it, how about you throw in Dom Smith and Mats for Marte and a prospect? Mets fans, before you scoff at that, I want you to take a look at Marte, who does have value and who Pittsburgh might be looking to unload. He's a plus defender. He steals bases, and he's that true center fielder that a lot of you guys are looking for. He hit 295 last season, and he's kind of indispensable because in Pittsburgh, Brian Reynolds, rookie outfielder, he hit 314 last year. Polanco's coming back off a 60-day DL stint. So the Pirates really don't need, need Marte. Throw in the fact that he's won two gold gloves, two of them, and he's been named to the All-Star team. And he gets on base, true to his career on base percentage last season. It's only off by a hundredth of a a percentage point, 341. They even have next year's projections on for him. He's projected to hit 20 home runs, steal 23 bases, and hit 277 with a 330 on base percentage. That sounds like a nice leadoff hitter for the New York Mets. So, 
that's a name that I, I might throw into the ring here if Rendon is not an option, which it's probably not. And if Moustakis is not an option, which it's probably not too. So I'll go Starling Marte. Well, out of the box looking candidate there. And so we talk about the Giants. I gave you my prediction for the Giants. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna fall to the Cowboys by seven points. And they are seven point underdogs. Cowboys twenty seven, Giants twenty. That's my prediction for that. The Yankees, their number one thing, it's it's a lot more straightforward. They need to exceed the luxury tax and go and get Garrett Cole. That's it. That's that's the start and end of how the Yankees are going to finish up the season. The offseason, I should say. The winter. Rollis Chapman fell into place. Encarnacion fell into place, except he's gone, which is fine by me. I really don't think he was going to be a long-term anyway. Long-term solution at all. And I couldn't help but notice, I'll say it again, the two teams playing in the World Series had Cole Verlander and Granke, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Can you imagine the Yankees having Cole, Tanaka, Severino, or Cole, Severino, Tanaka, then Paxton as a fourth? I'd love it. Go do it. Go spend the money. And I'm not sure if Hal Steinbrenner's playing coy, doesn't want to drive up the value. Maybe they have plans to get him all along. No one really knows what they're thinking, and I'm not really good at poker. having a poker face. They they are. But when you have a starting pitching staff that averages four and a third innings throughout nine postseason games, it's really not surprising that it ended the way it ended. You got a starting pitching staff that pitches to a 3.29 ERA in the playoffs postseason, which ranks fifth among all the 10 teams playing. And and Steinbrenner comes out and he says, I think they did a good job in the postseason. I, I don't I don't consider that good. Five out of ten, tenth. I mean, in the Olympics you get a gold, a silver, and, and a bronze, and everybody else can go scratch. So I, I disagree with that. But he did put it on mostly the fact that the Yankees didn't get a hit with runners in scoring position. And what'll burn in my mind is the fact that the Gary Sanchez and, and Aaron Judge hit a combined 134 with runners in scoring position. 134. That doesn't bode well. And you guys can get on Giancarlo Stan all you want. He hit zero with running and score, runners in scoring position, uh, by the way, this postseason. Zero. Actually, zero. But... I got what will burn in my memory until next season at least. Sanchez striking out with the bases loaded. That just can't happen. Just can't happen. And the Jets, I I chronicled the entire Jamal Adams drama from October 29th through November 1st, Friday. I'm questioning. You know, it was there a communication breakdown between and among Adams, Gase, and Douglas? In this conversation, was Adams really called the cornerstone of the team that he alleged later on? Gase said on Thursday, I don't really know what that means. 
So in the conversation that they had, because they did have a sit-down conversation, was he told he would not be shipped, shopped? Was that information left out? And if the Jets were interested in hearing offers for him, why wasn't he told? Come on, it's all about communication. But then Le'Veon Bell comes out and says, no one's talking about this, that they were so communicative with him that Joe Douglas took his time out to call him and told him that they weren't really shopping him. But if teams inquired, they would trade him before the deadline. But then why didn't Jamal Adams get that same treatment then? If both of them are are being truthful, which I I believe they are. And for the Jets to go down to Miami and get a win and put a Twitter poll up, 40% of Jets fans believe the Jets are going to lose at 1 p.m. today. And my prediction was actually that the Jets are going to win 21-14. We'll see. You guys know a host by the name of JJ, right? We had a we had a little bet. And if the Dolphins win next week, this time next week, I will be sitting here in a in a Dan Marino jersey. And if the Jets win, well, JJ's going to record a nice JETS chant for me that I could play whenever I want. Forever. Jeff, real quick, in Jersey City, what do you got? Oh, very quick, Daniel, uh, on um, or mentioned Jets. I think the Jets uh, are going to win. Um, I just think so. Um, I love them. They're my team. I love Sam, and um, I think they're going to win. Um, and the Mets, here's my question for you quickly. Yep. Um, being uh, so many people so positive about Beltran, which I am not, uh, no experience there. When you go for a job, generally you have some experience at the position. Mm-hmm. He has none. So, and Girardi, I don't trust Van Wagen is the, is my problem. I do not trust that guy. Um, he rubs me in the wrong way in every way. Last year, he bragged about snatching a kid, a 16-year-old high schooler. Um, I think he was from, like, Latin America mm-hmm. into, um, into the Mets organization. And they sound like they have a total disregard for the kid's education their college, whereas Cashman's saying he's looking into college to, 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 to bring a coach in at, a, at, at a, one of the colleges. Mm-hmm. I think there should be more emphasis on the, some of these kids, you know, getting an education in, in that they, you know, if they don't make it in baseball, they have a foundation under them. It, it's the agents I, I, I don't like, and that's including the one that's running the mess. I, I really feel really bad. I have a bad feeling about this guy. And um, and the thing is, they all they see is dollar signs. They're like uh, they're human traffickers, you know. Um, Van Wagen and and people of his ilk. And until he proves me wrong, and here's my question for you: Do you think they'll take the next step into the postseason, or are they gonna um, lag behind? Are they gonna take a step back? Hey Jeff, thanks for the call and thanks for hanging on for for a few minutes there. Um, two, well, two things. Um, you know, the, the level of education, I mean, my, my day job, I'm in education. So that is obviously important to me. Um, and that's a, a conversation, a longer conversation that we can't have in the next, you know, couple minutes with me on the air here. But, you know, about the fact that should players have to go to college before they play in the big leagues, then you get the, the family saying, well, we need the money now. You know, Zion Williamson, he, he's good now. What what if he gets hurt at, in his senior year? Like, what if, what if, what if? And you always play that game. So that's a bigger, larger-scale conversation that, that we're not going to do right here. But do the Mets make the next step? Well, to me, it all depends on the fact if they were to get and shore up that bullpen. That bullpen cost them. I mean, they can easily gain seven game, seven wins back 
if if they were to shore up that bullpen. I mean, I did the math. I could tweet out the math when I get home later. Um, but if they shore up that bullpen, seven wins, plus seven wins, plus eight wins, directly on the shoulders of that bullpen, yeah, I think the Mets are going to be in contention. But now they have to deal with the, the Atlanta Braves, who have, you know, one of the best records in the NL. And they're going to have to deal with the defending champion, Washington Nationals. All in the same division. And then what's left? The Phillies, who just have Joe Girardi. So who knows? But I think it's going to be a wild card spot for the Mets, if anything. So I want to just say thank you to all the callers. Could not have done it without you tonight. It's been a fun marathon for four hours. See how I did that? A marathon. Love coming here, talking to you all. Good luck to all the marathon runners today. Good weather for you guys. 35 degrees still in New York City. Another thank you to Jim Duquette, former GM of the Mets who, after 20 years in the MLB front offices, is a baseball analyst on MLB Network, SNY The Athletic. Great job to Nick behind the glass tonight. He just told me it was his second show, so good job. And also to Marco on the updates. Enjoy Week 9 action. The Jets at the Dolphins at 1 p.m. JJ and I will be watching intently. Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. See you all then. In the meantime, hit my socials. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66.